You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is A's Cast Live. Your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back. Looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Goal for Yelich. Cody Bellinger hits one out. He does. He's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Swinging a long drive, left field. He's got one now. Kurt Suzuki gives the Nationals the lead. That one above the Crawford boxes. Kurt Suzuki's first career postseason home run. And the Nationals lead the Astros 3-2 here in the seventh inning. Another 2-2 pitch. Swing and a slow bouncer. Third base side. Rendon charges in as an off-balance throw to Zimmerman in time for the out. Our final score with a curly W in the books. The Washington Nationals 12. The Houston Astros 3. Here's Chris Townsend. Wow. Are you kidding me? We knew the Nats had a shot. But did anybody think they would be up 2-0 heading back to Washington? We have a dynamic show for you today, breaking down game two. Yes, normally we are not live on Thursday, but I'm heading out of town tomorrow with the Raiders to go to Houston, where I I might be heading into a uh, pity party uh, if the Astros don't get their act together. And but this is really perfect that we're doing the show today because we can break down game two and get you ready for game three, which will be tomorrow. So we can satisfy both today. So I'm really happy about what we got going. And our guest list, because of Commander Cody, is second to none as usual. He is one of the top guys in all of baseball. You see him, MLB Network, he does a great job with boxing. I mean, he's basically the host at the Hall of Fame. He's a host, uh, MLB Network, and also the show MLB Now. Brian Kinney, author, you name it, Brian Kinney is going to be here at 115. The best researcher in the game from MLB.com, Sarah Langs will be here at 130. Boy, they've got major issues all around their organization. Just not with baseball ops. The Astros got issues. And Jeff Blum, our buddy, TV broadcaster, former Cal Bear, will join us at 2 o'clock. Travis Shawchick, will, great author. Uh, God, the book. MVP Machine. MVP Machine, that's correct. He'll be here at 2.30. And then one of our all-time favorites. He's going to be there now in the winter. At Fantasy Camp, the former MVP, the five-time All-Star, Jason Giambi at three. 
So Brian Kinney at 115, Sarah Langs at 130, Jeff Blum at 2, Travis Shawchick at 230, and Jason Giambi, former MVP for your Oakland Athletics, will be here at 3 o'clock. Boy, did that happen fast yesterday. It was a 2-2 game, cruising, Verlander, Strasburg. You looked up all of a sudden, a crooked number of 6-3 and three in the 7th and 8th inning, and it was ball game over. I don't know what the analytics are for toughness. I don't know what the analytics are for resiliency. I don't know what the analytics are for magic. I don't know what they are for chemistry. But I can tell you this, every time I look in that dugout for the Washington Nationals, they're having a blast. They're having a great time. So continuity, chemistry, you don't know how to build it. It doesn't come in numbers, but they got it, and they've had it since May. Ever since they were 19-31, and 31, since then they got the best record in baseball. The Washington Nationals came into this World Series as one of the biggest underdogs and the Houston Astros as one of the biggest favorites. They look shell-shocked. Do they look like they're having fun? Adam Eaton and Howie Kendrick driving the car next to each other on the bench. These guys are having a blast. Jumping on each other's backs, giving piggyback rides. I mean, these guys are having a blast. That's not happening in Houston. So, yes, numbers matter. But don't ever forget we're dealing with human beings. The numbers say this should be 2-0 Houston over the Nationals, heading back to our nation's capital. But that's not the case, and that's why the numbers, you know, statistics statistics lie. What's the old saying? Statistics lie, and and, and liars use statistics. There have been teams that no one gave a shot to. And now this isn't over by any stretch of the imagination. But there are teams that I think back in my career, nobody gave the Denver Broncos a chance against the Green Bay Packers and Brett Favre down in San Diego in the Super Bowl. Where the owner held up the Lombardi Trophy and said, this one's for John. Pat Bowen. Nobody gave the Giants against the undefeated Patriots. Did they give them a shot? How many people actually thought the Golden State Warriors would lose last year? Now, Commander Cody, just r- r- you just raised your hand. Uh, did you put any money on that? Believe it or not, at 30, almost 31 years old, there are two things I've never done before. I've never talked to a woman at a bar, and I've never, ever in my life placed a bet or gambled at a casino. Those are two things I've never done, and those streaks will probably live on until I die. What the hell is wrong with you? That's, I guess I haven't lived. I go, I went to Vegas once in my life, and I You've didn't gamble. You've never talked to a woman at a bar? No. Never needed to. I was in a relationship and married and then got divorced and then and dating someone again. Wow. Is college? A, I was, I, the girl I married, I was dating in college. Oh, my God. Yeah. I lived at home, too. So You've never made a bet on a game? Never. 
Oh my god. I know. I, I don't know how I lived. My life was. I live. I lead a boring life. That, that, you know what? Turn that microphone off before you incriminate yourself anymore to our great A's audience. It's embarrassing. That is embarrassing. I I want to thank everybody who came out to our uh, little shindig last night at the uh, A's office and. You know, you just can't say enough about Marcus Simeon. I mean, it really is. It's incredible what a super human being he is. So Marcus came, and we had some people were already A's Access members. Some people weren't. I got up, did my little dog and pony show, and then interviewed Marcus for a half hour. And then he, then he stood there, and, he, you know, it's either autographs or, or it's pictures. And it's just, here's a guy that literally you could make a case for as the MVP this year in the American League. His numbers are that good. But he is so humble and such good people. We are so lucky to have him. I, just, I, I want to get that out there. Marcus Simeon is just a terrific, terrific person. He's a good, good teammate. He was raised right, great husband, good father. I just, I, I love the guy to death. But the bottom line is, once again, the Nationals have it. What that is, I don't know. I don't know what it is. You can't quantify it. There's no, there's no number to put with when human beings just, start to perform together when they have the magic. We are going to have a World Series game in Washington in, in Washington DC for the first time in 86 years. Think about that. 86 years since the last time the Washington then Senators played a World Series game. Or you can look at it this way, 31,429 days to be exact. Mel Ott, the great Mel Ott, the Hall of Famer, hit a 10th inning home run as the New York Giants clinched a title on October 7, 1933 with a Game 5 win over the Washington Senators' Griffith Stadium. There's some history going on here, folks. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. The Nats have won 18 of their last 20 games, tying the best 20-game stretch in franchise history. Including the regular season, they have won 20 of their last 23. How good have they been all around? The Nats are hitting 355 with runners in scoring position during this eight-game winning streak. Is that any good? What's their staff ERA during this eight-game winning streak? It's 1.97. They're hammering people. It's not even close. I've got so many numbers today that tell you how lopsided these two games have been. It's just, it's crazy. How about national starters? That's something we got to bring up with Brian Kenny. Brian Kenny with the starting pitcher's record doesn't matter. National starters are 8 and 1 with a 2.23 ERA in 12 games this postseason. And holding 
their opponents in 12 games to just a 185 batting average. They're dominating. It's been a lot of fun to watch. And this Astros team, all of a sudden, they look terrible. And we had the notes for you yesterday. The regression of Cole and Verlander as we move on during this postseason. They're not as dominant. They're not striking guys out as much. Now, is that the pitchers? Or is that what the Yankees and what the what the Nationals are doing to them? All I know is the numbers aren't as good. As they lose at home back-to-back for the first time this season. Third time it's happened this year. First time at home that you saw two games started by either Verlander and Cole back-to-back where they actually lose. And where, oh where, have the bats gone? The Houston Astros, who, I mean, come on. We see the Astros a ton, and we know how good they are. But right now, their bats are not doing it, and especially with runners in scoring position. Since game one of the ALCS, runners in scoring position, they're hitting 127. 127. So, they, they, I mean, they're in a situation to where they're in trouble. Now, after the game, they can say all they want. They can say all they want. But right now, you're staring at, you're, you're staring at a huge hole. Only three teams, since they went to this format, 2-3-2. Two, only three teams have ever come back and won. And we had that for you yesterday. And it, and it's a list of, look out, it was the 1985 Royals where they got the break in game six, the Don Dankinger call, which if there was replay, they would have lost the World Series. The next year, the 86 Mets, we all know what happened in that one. Bill Buckner threw the legs. And then, of course, the 96 Yankees, where the Braves went in game one, game two, but then the Yankees came back and, and, and took out the Braves. Only three teams have ever come back from this deficit. Good luck. I mean, this has been a shocker. You know what this, and I, I, I apologize, I, 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 hate to, I hate to bring this up, kind of reminds me, Kind of reminds me of the Reds and the A's in 1990. There was no way the Reds were supposed to beat the A's in 1990. Right? We all knew that. You had the A's winning the World Series in 1989, just absolutely dominant. I mean, that was 1990. You had the A's with 103 wins. Cincinnati Reds had a good year. They won 91. But if you looked at the lineup, I mean, 
you had a bunch of Hall of Famers for the A's. You had a bunch of guys that should be in the Hall of Fame if it wasn't for uh, voters keeping steroid guys out. They had one in Barry Larkin. Eric the Red was still a very good player, but he got hurt in that World Series on that diving catch. I am really not going to be shocked. I'm not going to be shocked at all if this this is quick because they got something. Do we have Brian? Brian Kenny is the host of MLB Now. He's also one of the great hosts on uh, the MLB Network, all his great years of doing boxing. Brian, it's always an honor to have you on the program. Welcome to A's Cast Live with Chris Townsend. Excellent, Chris. Good to be with you. I was just talking about, and I know we got a long way to go, but if this this thing ends quick, it's going to kind of remind me of the A's and Reds in 1990 because the A's were such big favorites. How shocked are you right now that the Astros are down 0-2? Well, yeah, I, I don't think you can minimize it. I mean, you know it's a quality team. You know it's possible uh, as soon as they beat, uh, you know, beat the Brewers in the wild card and survive that game. You knew they had the, you know, the rotation and the top of the lineup you know, to give the Dodgers problems. Yet I would have favored, and I did favor the Dodgers. And even knowing all that, that this is a, it's a again, it's a dynamic offense with uh, again frontline starting pitching that is all coming together. I still favored the Astros. So yeah, it's it's a it's a surprise. Look, it, you know, one game just changes everything so dramatically. Game one, I got the sense the Astros were, were going to win the whole game. I mean, you had that sense, even when they were trailing, they were going to come from behind, but they didn't. And then it was 2-2 in the seventh yesterday, and then it's blowout city. So it's easy to, you know, to say, hey, no, the Nationals are a quality club. They've won 93 games, even with that bad start. And yet, no, we, this is quite a surprise to see them, after being so snake bit for so long, now be in the driver's seat. Oh, yeah, and you know how much we got to deal with the Astros, and I'm with you. I thought after the Astros got on the board early in game one, you're like, oh, this thing's going to be over. But, you know, we want to quantify everything in this game. And, and, of course, with the A's, we do that. But there's something about magic. There's something about chemistry. There's something about these guys having fun. I mean, when you're looking at Eaton and Kendrick driving the car and, and on the bench and these guys, I mean, they look like they look like they're having a blast, and it looks miserable over in the Astros' dugout. Yeah, but, you know, it, it felt that way last week. Like the Yankees looked all uptight and the Astros were loose, even though they got down one zip. And you remember, it could have easily been two zip Yankees. They lost an extra innings. So they could have been going to Yankee Stadium down two zip, but they didn't. So things change. And uh, I'll say this about like, you know, the clubhouse chemistry thing, which is, you know, always like, you know, at the forefront of every media conversation in baseball history. I'll say this, the Nationals club was a team that was notoriously uptight through the years. You know, they lost four times at the division series. They did look miserable. Even I have to admit that. And that is not the way this club is now. So uh, even I have to grant you that they do look looser. They do look like they respond to adversity much better. Um, it's not life or death, and you're always better when you fight, when you don't, even if your life is on the line, when you think it's not. Yeah, we had Chip Hale, our good friend Chip, who obviously was with the A's, and we had him on recently, and he talked about how 
they were feeling a little like they were feeling a little tight in that clinching game in the NLCS. So they threw up. He said they threw up par just to hit so they could play the baby shark song to get everybody from be, <laughs> make everybody loose in the stadium. I mean, it's amazing how little things can affect. And uh, we're we're rooting for a lot of the uh, XAs there. And I'm thinking about you know because we talk so much about bullpens and bullpenning and 42% of all innings this year pitched by bullpens. But here the Nationals are their starters, and I'm looking at your guys' notes from the NLB Network. 8-1 and one with a 2.23 ERA in 12 games. The National starters, Brian, they've been fabulous. Well, it's never been a shock, again, through the history of baseball, that the way to win is through your an outstanding starting rotation. My point has always been it's very expensive. It's hard to, it's hard to put that all together and in this day and age you know there's no salary cap but there is a luxury tax threshold so you've got to be careful about what you're spending so yeah it's pricey but they chose to reinvest uh, you know out reallocate their resources from Bryce Harper uh, to a very young outfield that was emerging and then putting their big money into Patrick Corbin and it really worked beautifully in the regular season so there's a lot of ways of doing it and yeah this is really bucking the trend that we've not only seen you know, one side, both sides. I mean, these are, uh, I did an essay for MLB Now the other day, really matching up like the all-time great rotations in World Series history. And I think we'll look back someday and look at this like we look at, you know, uh, maybe maybe not quite the 69, you know, Mets and Orioles, but maybe like the uh, the Orioles and the Dodgers uh, in the in the mid-60s or the Twins and uh, and the Dodgers in the mid-60s. This is an all-time great starting pitcher clash. Well, I think about MLB now, as you say, the show for the thinking fan, and you guys are going to be in D.C., and you're going to be airing live coverage before and after every World Series game. And I love when you do MLB now at this time of the year when you're on the field and you got all those guests. But you got to be honored that you guys put on a baseball show on television like we have never seen before, just for you personally, professionally, and the guys around you. How much do you just love doing that show every day? Oh, I really do. And that's nice of you to say, because I hope it is appreciated out there because you know I've been in this business ooh, 35 years now, I guess. And um, we, we do a show that, you know, we try to cultivate an intelligent audience and uh, not just, you know, blather on out there and try to come up with interesting topics and try to dig deeper beneath the surface. And, uh, you know, baseball allows you to do that because it is so, uh, it is so, I wouldn't say reliant on, but it, it, it can be so driven by data and logic and facts, and yet you do then have to relate it to the physical real world. And I think that's what's exciting in baseball now, that it's the players that are driving this analytic revolution now. It's very baseball-y, and they're using the information as weapons out there. And yet I think it's always fascinating to think about, like, well, this guy looks valuable. How valuable is he? What is the best way to put together a team? Um, what is, you know, like with the Nationals, is a new market inefficiency, um, high, you know, assigning 35-year-old, 34-year-old players to two-year contracts, putting them to good money and not, like, discarding them. That's what kind of uh, Mike Rizzo of the Nationals has done. So, yeah, there's a lot of fascinating ways of doing it, and we do get to explore that in depth on the show for an hour every day. And to your point, yeah, it's a, it's a pleasure to be surrounded by such good people, so many good people to have our, our research staff with us and really dig into what we think is fascinating about baseball.
Oh, yeah, we steal from your show all the time. It's wonderful. <laughs> hey, Excellent. I'm flattered. Yeah, Excellent. no no, no doubt, no doubt. It's it's my favorite show. It's sad to say, but it is my favorite show. I'm a baseball dork, so it is my favorite show. So, you know, when I start thinking about what the Astros have to do to get back into this, like if you look into this and whatever you've looked, whatever metric, whatever, what has to happen with the – I mean, I know they're, they're horrible with runners in scoring position ever since game one of, of the ALCS hitting one at 127. What has to happen to get them back into this thing? No, I mean, you just have to play. These things are flukish. It's funny. As we – you know, at the network, we do nothing but baseball all day long. And all through the season, if you pay attention to it, you'll see, you know, teams change in their energy and how well they're playing and how dominant they look or how awful they look in a half week, like series to series. If you really chart it and if like, you know, I'm sure like, you know, A's fans can look at it and say there, there are uh, half weeks that go by, series that go by where it's like, wow, the A's can beat anybody. Wow, they just crushed the Astros. Wow, they match up with the Yankees. You don't want to play the A's. And then the following week, they just look lousy. So in any half week, a team can look completely different. So Zach Greinke is pitching tomorrow. You know, actually, I thought he had a very good start against the Yankees. He had to struggle. It was kind of tough raw weather. I was out at that game at Yankee Stadium, and he was constantly in trouble, and yet he only allowed one run. You have to allow Greinke to pitch his game, and then the rest of the offense just has to be, you know, as disciplined at the plate as they were. I mean, that's the one thing that can change is if you go out thinking you're down 2-0 and your back is against the wall, well, you're in trouble. If you can go out and just play loose and say, we need to take two out of three against the Nationals, well, the Astros should be able to take two out of three against anybody. I was asked this question, and because Juan Soto's going to turn just 21 on Friday, I was asked if you could draft anybody Number one pick in baseball right now, long term. You, know, you got Acuna Jr. You got all these, all this great young talent in our game. Who would be the guy you'd take number one? Well, it depends on where you would put the cutoff for age. I know I've thought about that. Like, if you know, in a normal sense, I think I would go Trout, Judge, Bregman. Now, if you're saying I've got to go younger, then I'd have to really rethink it and see who, see what my options are. It would be close, uh, but I know I know what you're saying. It's the plate discipline of Soto that separates him. Uh, Acuna is a better fielder, more explosive player, but yeah, 21 years old with a 400 on base, 540 slugging, or whatever he has lifetime to get 10 years of that. It's really it would be tough to top that. And then everybody we know at the Astros saying we've never seen a left-handed hitter ever hit it up on the train track. I mean, when he did that, it was like, wow, this this guy has great power. Before we let you go, just got to ask you one A's question because we had uh, the COO of the A's on yesterday, and, and we were both laughing going, we never want to see another wild card game. What do you think has to happen for the Ooh. A's to, to have that mindset, to be able to win that wild card game and, and have that kind of mental toughness that we're seeing with the Nationals? <clears throat> Nothing. There's, not, there's no magic anything. And this is, a, I think, a lesson for your people out there. The Nationals, like, they lost almost tragically four straight times, right? I mean, in the division series, they could not win. And they lost, like, they lost that game in 18 innings one time uh, in 2014. And then, like, uh, they had that bullpen disaster in 2016. 2017, remember, they had that disastrous inning when Max Scherzer came on in relief. Uh, that was against the Cubs. 
And it, like, so they had these, when you would line them up, the Nationals have had these disastrous losses, one after another, and they've won more games than really anybody over the last like seven, eight years, except maybe the Dodgers, and yet they couldn't even win a series. So there's, and now they can't lose. So there's nothing magical to it. Um, you know, maybe you do uh, go after a few more veteran players to top off your roster, but the year that the A's lost to the Royals, you know, it's, it is just a crapshoot. That, that A's team was tremendous that year. They just lost, you know, they lost that game. So I don't think there's anything. You try to put together, like people were asking me, hey, what should the Yankees do now that they've lost? Get better. Is, yeah, just try to get better. You, you roll the dice when you get into the postseason. You try to put off, you know, finish off your roster, put on the finishing touches. But the A's do that every year uh, with what they spend anyway. So there's nothing magical. You try to build the best team possible. Our first World Series game in Washington, D.C. in 86 years. It's unbelievable. Brian, enjoy the rest of the series. We always appreciate your time. You know how much we love your shows, whether it's MLB Now or when you're hosting uh, on MLB Network. Thank you for the time, and and enjoy the rest of uh, this World Series. All right, my pleasure. Great talking to you again. Take care. Brian Kenny. Yeah, good stuff. And once again, Brian will be in D.C. as MLB Network is airing live coverage before and after every World Series game. I don't think there's a show like it in television on any of the, whether you're talking NFL Network, NBA Channel, NHL Channel, I don't think there's a show that's so in-depth on the sport. I don't think the ex-football players that they have on NFL Network. I mean, because you're not. It's not a. It's not as much a numbers game as they're really. They're really more a highlight show. It's. It's always we're going to give opinion and show highlights to back it up. To where in baseball you can have all these different numbers, these equations, analytics to back up your points. It doesn't have to all be highlights, but they really, really go in depth. It's a show I tape every day. I watch it live. If I don't watch it live, I will go back and watch it. I mean, they have anything from ex-GMs, ex-players, top media personalities, uh, top people who cover the game. If if you love baseball, you'll love the show MLB Now, and it's always great to have Brian Kenny on. Now, if you love baseball information, you like just to just constantly just go, Wow, you got to follow Sarah Langs on Twitter at S Langs on Sports. She works for MLB.com. She works for ESPN. You hear her also on with Buster Olney on the Baseball Tonight podcast. Sarah, thank you for coming on the program. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to chat. All right. So the the Astros are down 0-2. I just asked Brian Kinney this. How shocked are you? I I am very surprised at the way that they have looked in this series. I mean, I really felt coming in that the Nationals had so much of that. I think we talked about this when I saw you guys at the Coliseum, but all of the momentum stuff that, you know, me as a numbers person I know doesn't actually exist, but then I watch a game and I'm like, wait, it, it definitely does exist. The Nationals had all of that in their favor 
So I could have seen them maybe taking a game, but I was absolutely shocked. I mean, the way the Astros have played is just not the Astros that we've kind of come to expect, honestly, over the last three years. And it's really something, but it's so exciting for the Nationals. And I'm just so excited for DC and all of that. I I think it's such a great, you know, this is like what we love in sports so much, right? Like it would have been great if the Astros had steamrolled them in the first two games and were about to go finish a sweep in DC. That would be great too. But there's something about a team that hasn't been there with Ryan Zimmerman and Juan Soto. You have the opposite ends of the spectrum and age. You have all of these other storylines and that team is doing this. It's so cool. I mean, you just look at the numbers and the Nationals have been so dominant. I, I mean, they, they've won eight straight games. They're hitting 355 during that time with runners in scoring position. Their staff has a 1.97 ERA during that winning streak. I mean, they win game three. It's going to be an all-time record. I mean, we knew the Nationals would be tough. We had no idea they'd be this dominant. Yeah, it's amazing. And another one you can add to that, they have 17 runs they scored on the road, which is the third most by any team in the first two games of a World Series on the road. And the other two are the 1960 Yankees and the 1936 Yankees were ahead of them. I mean, that's not just, oh, you've been good in these games. This is like, hey, all time, only two teams were ever better, which is pretty impressive. But I think it's been so exciting to see what they've done with their bullpen. I mean, we saw Patrick Corbin pitch in relief. We've We've seen these things happen all postseason. And, you know, I was there watching the NL wildcard game, uh, you know, when we were actually out in Oakland and, you know, saw them bring in Strasburg after Scherzer struggled a little bit. And I was like, okay, that's cool. Maybe you can win a wildcard game that way, but you can't, you can't win going forward this way. And then they managed to win a five game series that way. And I'm like, okay, but you can't really do it in a seven game series. And then they played so well that the seven game series was a four game series. So they were able to do these kinds of things and it didn't matter. And they seemed to be on track to do the same. I, I, I don't think anyone would have ever thought heading into this postseason that you could that that team that had such a bad bullpen and everyone knows it would be able to manipulate using their starters to the point where they could be on the precipice of potentially winning a world series in terms of the actual number of innings you have to throw and the number of, you know, just appearances that you require out of those guys. But I mean, major props to Davey Martinez because, you know, for all of the criticism that he got early in the year and there was plenty and the team was 19 and 31. So it wasn't unjustified necessarily, but I mean, it's gone pretty well. Yeah, and then I just think of these next two games. Like, Zach Greinke has not been great in the postseason his career. This year he's 0-2 with a 6.43 ERA uh, going up against Annabelle Sanchez, who has the experience from pitching in the World Series with the Tigers. And then game four, it's going to have to be a bullpen game for the Astros versus Corbin. I don't want to jinx it, but, my God, I'm not going to be shocked if this is a sweep. Right? I 100%. I mean, you know, Granke, as you said, had not been great in his postseason career. And he's, he's really struggled, you know, for the Astros this postseason. I mean, his last start, he gave up one run, but he only went four and a third, you know, and the other games have not been what you want to see the three home runs against the Rays and two homers against the Yankees. I mean, you know, I've been disappointed to see that because he was one of those guys on the list of, you know, these players who've been in the league for 10 plus years who I was so excited to see get to play in the World Series and Zimmerman's on that list and, you know, Kurt Kurt Suzuki and all of these other guys. And, you know, it's disappointing to see him struggle on that stage only because, you know, I wish the best for him and I wish that he were at least personally able to have a better experience there. And, you know, we'll see what he brings in game three, but it's, 
you know, while heading into the World Series, it feels completely unrealistic. It felt completely unrealistic to say, you know, hey, the Nationals could potentially pull off a sweep or go up 2-0 on the road. Now it feels completely realistic to, to, you know, outline what you said, which is, I mean, just absolutely mind-blowing. We have uh, breaking news. Obviously, there's been a story that's been hovering over this World Series with the Houston Astros, and the Houston Astros have announced that assistant general manager Brandon Taubman has been terminated. He is no longer with the organization. They did an investigation, and they said their investigation led them to this. They actually finally apologized. They say, we were wrong. We sincerely apologize to Stephanie Epstein, Sports Illustrated, and to all individuals who witnessed this incident or were offered uh, or who were offended by the appropriate inappropriate conduct. The Astros in no way intend to minimize the issue related to domestic violence. So we knew Major League Baseball had sent people from New York to investigate. The commissioner said yesterday that it will be the Astros' decision, and the Astros have now terminated their assistant general manager who made those awful comments. You've been following the story, and, and as a woman in this in this game, how would you feel about the story, and how do you feel now that uh, Brown and Tobman has been terminated? Yeah, you know, I mean, obviously with my job, I, I am a reporter, um, and I also do a lot of research. So, you know, I don't spend as much time in the clubhouse as obviously these writers who were there, you know, on the eve of the ALCS clinch and all of that. But uh, I was, you know, just frankly disappointed to see how women were being treated in this, in uh, throughout how this story went, the, you know, dismissal of what Stephanie had reported, which turned out to be true and all of that. So, um, you know, unfortunately, this doesn't really undo the damage that happened. And that's the upsetting part about, you know, women's place still in sports and in the locker room overall. But uh, it does seem like that is the right move. And I'm glad to see the statement that they did apologize to her, which I know the Baseball Writers Association of America had called for and other um, organizations as well. And I, I think about A.J. Hinch. If there was one, there's, there's really only one person in the Houston Astros organization who handled this correctly from the get-go. And it was A.J. Hinch who was asked about it. And I thought what he said when he basically said, whether you're a player, whether you're a coach, whether you're a manager, whether you're media, nobody should ever come into the Astros clubhouse and feel uncomfortable or scared. And when he said that, I was like, you know, they should take that statement, print it, and put it in all every single clubhouse in Major League Baseball. Nobody who enters those doors should ever feel uncomfortable or scared doing their job. Yeah, I really appreciated those comments from him. You know, I've been lucky enough that I have not ever been in a situation where I felt uncomfortable thus far in my job, you know, in this role and being in clubhouses a lot, especially in this past uh, this past season. But I was still really heartened to hear that. And I, I did wish I could hear that from more people. I mean, it's not a requirement or anything, but I think to your point, you know, it's a nice affirmation, you know, and obviously it was kind of necessary in that situation with the Astros and with what happened, but I would love to hear those kinds of things from, from more individuals just in the sport. I think that sometimes a lot of things are, you know, assumed where, you know, maybe they could be outlined and certain people would feel a little more comfortable or a lot more comfortable. And let's get back to the 115th World Series. And when you look at Cole and you look at Verlander, from their very first starts in this postseason to what we've start, you know, we started to see 
they've kind of they they haven't ramped up. They've kind of ramped down. I mean, the strikeouts are down, the 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 runs are up. So it's kind of like if you kind of really looked into the numbers, should we be that shocked about their two performances in game one and game two? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think that's a good way to put it. You know, we see we see this happen every year where guys are just really tired by this point, and often it does end up deciding a World Series. And, you know, with Garrett Cole, it was so surprising because he had been so outstanding for, what, basically three months. He hadn't, you know, pitched a home loss, a, a team loss since May 22nd. He hadn't, you know, pitched a team loss anywhere uh, since July so we had basically just come to expect him as automatic, but we have to remember that he isn't. And, you know, he threw 212 and a third innings in the regular season, which was already his most in any regular season at the major league level. And then you put in the postseason, and he did not go deep into the postseason with the Pirates. So he doesn't have the experience of pitching like this. And he's been pitching, he had been pitching pretty deep in those games. And, you know, that's almost the expectation out of him. So you know, while he's so good, it's hard to go out there and go seven plus innings in four postseason starts when you threw that many innings in the regular season. And, you know, someone who pitched 30 years ago would tell us that that's not the case. But the way that guys pitch now and the fact that he hits 100 in his final inning half the time, I mean, you know, it's one of those things where hindsight is twenty twenty, and maybe we should have seen that coming. But there also isn't anything the Astros could have done differently. I mean, you're not going to rest him at any point. He's your absolute best pitcher. He's, he's vying for a Cy Young award against the other guy, of course. You know, there's no point where you could say, oh, we're just going to have you go five this day, Garrett. I mean, that's just not how these guys work. You know, you think about the Madison Bumgarners, the Max Scherzers, these kinds of guys, they're not going to say yes to something like that. And, you know, it helped the team. I mean, ultimately, they almost didn't have home field advantage throughout the postseason, so they needed every win. You know, so you can't even say that September could have been treated differently. And, you know, I think with Verlander, it's it's pretty similar. He's had seasons where he pitched, you know, 250 innings, but, you know, not in a very long time. And he's at two, he was at 223 in the regular season, and he's also had a couple of deep postseason starts. So, you know, this is what happens, whereas, you know, I guess, you know, the Nationals are just in a different spot. Scherzer was hurt, which certainly wasn't a positive for the team or himself or anything, but it does mean he threw a lot fewer innings this year. And those kinds of things, you know, maybe that ends up being one of these things that helped them that isn't something you would ever hope for, but maybe it ends up being one of those sort of X factors that he was a little less overworked by, you know, mid-October, late October. Okay, so we've had three hires. Let's go them, Let's go through them quickly. How do you feel about David Ross coming out of the booth and at back in baseball as the manager of the Cubs? So I know David Ross, um, obviously, from working at ESPN, and he is, you know, such a great guy. I'm really happy for him. I think we, I think we might have talked about this last time I talked with you, but, uh, you know, I – I think he's going to do a great job. I, I know what some of the concerns are about, you know, maybe managing certainly his friends and his former teammates and, you know, being so young and having been in that clubhouse just three years ago, but he's a great motivator. I think he's an outstanding teammate. I mean, you know, everyone who I've worked with, honestly, all of those anchors and talent at ESPN were great. But one thing that you would definitely say about David Ross is that he's a good teammate. And I think that that will translate really well. Um, and you know, catchers are great managers. I mean, you can't, you can't paint with that broad a brush, but we've certainly seen some hall of fame managers, including one by the Bay, right. And Bruce Bogey who were catchers. And I think that I've always thought that part of the reason why that is, is because it's kind of like the quarterback position in baseball where like you're involved in every play, 
and you're so laser focused that that allows you to then look at it differently when you're older. So I, I love the hire. Yeah, and like our guy, Bob Melvin, one of the best in the business, exactly. also a catcher. Let's go to the Philadelphia Phillies. Another catcher, Joe Girardi, back in business as a manager. Of course, he managed the Fish. He managed the Yankees. Now he's the manager of the Phillies. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I mean, we heard early on, right, that the Phillies were really looking for experience in a manager, and they had, you know, pretty much the polar opposite of that in Gabe Kapler over the last two years. So it seems like they checked the box that they want. Everything that I have, you know, everything that I've ever witnessed about the way Joe Girardi manages and everything that everyone has been saying indicates that, you know, I, I do think he's a really good manager, and I think that, you know, his ending in New York was sort of more about other things than it was necessarily directly about him as a manager. Um, so, you know, it's not like he managed really poorly for three years and that's why they get rid of him. You know, he took his team to the game seven of the ALCS in his final year there. So I think he will be probably more of what they want. And, you know, I think that, you know, Bryce Harper had so many managers in D.C. Obviously, that was kind of one of the problems with the Nationals over that time span. But everyone talks about how well he got along with Dusty Baker and very different individuals. But in terms of the experience, I, I can see that uh, Harper might have, you know, added respect for someone like Joe Girardi. And then this one I really don't know much about. The San Diego Padres, uh, Jace Tangler from the Texas Rangers. I know he's been an assistant GM. I know he's been an interim bench coach. He's never managed higher than A-ball. Like right now he's managing in the Dominican. Uh, he's going to be the Padres' new manager. Do you know much about him? I don't know a whole lot, but I saw that the Padres have hired six. Their last six straight managers have had no prior MLB managerial experience, which is just interesting to me because I, I think what the Phillies did is probably right. You hired a manager with no experience. It didn't work, so you pivoted to someone with more experience. So I do think it's interesting that the Padres have not chosen to go that route. I mean, the finalists were reported to be um, Tingler and Ron Washington, and based on you know experience alone, those are two very opposite ends of the spectrum. But you know, they have a lot of young players coming up and him managing down in the Dominican Republic. He's bilingual. He speaks Spanish. I think that that's a huge, huge, you know, important thing in terms of intangibles or maybe even tangibles um, at this point being a manager. So I, it does sound like he's pretty well equipped to do so, but it, it's definitely interesting um, by the Padres. If you just kind of look at who those managers have been since since Bosch. Yeah, it's very uh, like you said, and we see we see it so much in football, where 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 you have a head coach that's one way, and then when you fire him, you go to the other end of the spectrum. And uh, yeah, with, with Preller's relationship, AJ Preller, who runs uh, Padres baseball operations, his relationship with Texas guys because he came from the Texas Rangers. We thought Wash, and we were hoping for Wash to get the job. We've had him on a couple times, as you know, a, a longtime A's coach. We love him, but. Uh, We'll see how this works out. It, it, I, I bet he's not working for uh, Big Doe. I would say he's one of these guys yeah. not making the big money. Thank you so much for the time. Of course, I know you're on today. You're going to be on tomorrow on Buster Only's podcast. Are you going to be in D.C.? Uh, I won't be, but I will be. I will be watching and researching and very excited to see what happens uh, on these games. And we will be following you on Twitter, just like everybody should be following you on Twitter, at S Langs on Sports. You're the best, and you know we'll be calling soon. 
Thank you so much. Great to talk to you. Thank you. The great Sarah Langs. I'm serious. Follow her on Twitter. You will not be disappointed. I, I never root for people to lose their job. I do know that I was pretty hard on the uh, on the uh, on the Astros yesterday, and it, it, I, I'm in a a different position now than I've ever been. I'm used to working for a radio station and being paid to give an opinion. That's what they pay you to do in talk radio. I now work for the Oakland A's. We are still doing a talk show. We're still going to give you a lot of opinion. But sometimes you need to maybe bite your tongue a little bit when you're talking about other teams. I, just yesterday, I, you know, it's something that I'm very passionate about. I'm very passionate about doing things the right way. That's, that, 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 that's, that's how I was raised. That's how I conduct my business. Doing the right thing. Whether it's personally with my kids, my wife, the restaurant business that I'm in, whether the restaurant in San Diego or Walnut Creek, whether it's handling what I do with the A's, with the Raiders, I always feel there's a right way to do things. And when I see injustice, I'm not going to be afraid to speak out. The NBA's lucky I don't have a talk show. Warriors are lucky I'm not on that flagship anymore because I would not have been pro-NBA at all. But we don't talk about that here. The Houston Astros, as I'm reading this press release, they did the right thing, but they did the right thing because they were forced to do it. Let me read this to you. During the past two days, the Astros proactively, I want you to remember that, proactively assisted Major League Baseball in interviewing Astros employees as part of MLB's investigation of the events published in recent Sports Illustrated article. Major League Baseball also separately interviewed members of the media over the past 24 hours. Our initial... That's another one. Proactively, and then this one. Our initial investigation led us to believe that Brandon Taubman's inappropriate comments were not directed toward any reporter. We were wrong. We sincerely apologize to Stephanie Epstein, Sports Illustrated, and to all individuals who witnessed this incident or were offended by the inappropriate conduct. The Astros in no way intend to minimize the issues related to domestic violence. Our initial belief was based on witness statements about the incident. Subsequent interviews have revealed that Taubman's inappropriate inappropriate comments were, in fact, directed toward one or more reporters. Accordingly, we have terminated Brandon Taubman's employment with the Houston Astros. His conduct does not reflect the values of our organization, and we believe this is the most appropriate course of action. We are thankful to Major League Baseball and to everyone that cooperated in the investigation. As previously stated, 
The Astros are very committed to using our voice to create awareness and support on the issue of domestic violence. We fully support MLB and baseball stance and values regarding domestic violence. We will continue to make this cause a priority for our organization. This is a far different press release than the first one that they put out, basically slamming Sports Illustrated and Stephanie Epstein. The second press release they put out was Brandon Taubman, assistant general manager, which they didn't say sorry, and he really didn't say he did anything wrong. He really apologized for his language. The third press release that they put out was from the owner, Jim Crane. And that was just basically saying, look how much money and look what we've done for the community. Finally, the fourth press release got it right. I think what's sad is, I think what's sad is Major League Baseball had to be involved for them to get it right. And I can tell you, whoever wrote this press release, I'm not a writer. I wish I was better at it. It's not something I love to do. I didn't like doing it in school. Writing's not my thing. Talking's my thing. Writing's not my thing. But I've read enough of these that I can guarantee you this press release that you're now seeing put out by the Houston Astros was not written by the same person who wrote the first one where they went after Stephanie Abstein and Sports Illustrated. This one is worded completely different. Maybe someone from the Astros didn't even write it. Maybe it's someone from Major League Baseball. Maybe it's from an outside firm. In the end, they got it right. But as I said yesterday, the cover-up was worse than the crime. If you listen today to Buster Olney's podcast, Baseball Tonight, you should have heard them going on. I mean, you think I went hard on these guys yesterday? You should have heard Buster today. You should have heard Keith Law, who used to work in a front office. And then Mike Golick, longtime ESPN radio, former defensive tackle for the Philadelphia Eagles, Notre Dame Fighting Irish. I like Mike a lot. Mike was fabulous, and he was heated. There's a right way and a wrong way. But it's sad that even in 2019, and also, isn't this domestic violence this month? Can you look up the official title? I think this is uh, Domestic Violence Awareness Month. It's National Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and this is going on. And this has been hovering around the Houston Astros. Does this have any effect on the field? I don't know. Clearly, 
you know, when something like this goes on, because this is something that we dealt with a lot with the San Francisco 49ers. Whether it was Ray McDonald, it was Alden Smith. I mean, when you have issues with your franchise, you know, everybody in baseball is talking about it. All the national shows are talking about it. Every single show, MLB Network, which their sole purpose is to promote the game. Every one of their shows had to address it. But it's a whole different thing when it's happening in your market. We experienced that with the 49ers. You start getting a lot more, like we start finding out about the Niners and their connection to the to San Jose PD, to the Santa Clara Sheriff's Office. We start, hey, this is a weird relationship that they got going. And that relationship is no longer. Once you start finding out the facts, it gets uglier and it gets uglier. And I bet, and, and I'm going to, I'll see what I find out. I'm going to Houston tomorrow. Now, the Astros won't be in town. They'll be in Washington, D.C., but we'll be around Houston Texans people, and I guarantee, you know, there, there, there's always crossover, and we're going to talk to Jeff Blum from the Astros, our buddy Blummer coming up here. But this what this, this is ugly. And I wonder how this is going to affect baseball as a whole. And I really do mean it when A.J. Hinch stepped up to the podium. He knew he was going to get asked because no one from the organization, once again, this is, this is the thing about these front offices. Right? We got all these smarty smartisans. Oh, these guys are so smart. They crunch so much data. They know this. They know that. I graduated from Harvard. I graduated from Yale. I'm Stanford. I'm MIT. But when, when it hits the fan, where are you at, smart guys? Where are you at? They don't want to take the heat. Jeffrey Lunau... It, it, oh, oh, excuse me. I forgot. Lun, Luno's was the fourth. The fifth one gets it right. Luno's yesterday. Luno's yesterday said, hey, basically said, it's he said, she said. And Buster only, not what I'm going to say here to cover myself. It was Buster only who said, wait a minute, you're the boss. Call him in and ask him what he meant. Because the press release from Jeffrey Luno basically said, hey, we don't, we, we, we don't know what he meant. Well, if you're his boss, call him in and ask him. Buster only went all in on it today. <laughs> I mean, he was all over Jeffrey Luno. But that's the thing. Just because you can crunch numbers doesn't mean you know how to be a professional. Mark my words. I didn't go to Stanford. I didn't go to Yale, Harvard, Cornell, Brown, wherever. And I don't know how to crunch all the numbers, and I don't know all the data, and I don't know all the analytics, but I know how to be a professional. And not all these guys around baseball, they're not all professionals. You learn little things about some of these people. And that's why you value the Oakland A's. 
because Billy Bean, David Forrest, and their staff, they know how to be professional. This would never happen with a Billy Bean staff. Never would happen. And if it just, let's just say it did, it wouldn't take five press releases to get it right. I can guarantee you that. Wouldn't happen on Billy Bean's watch. Wouldn't happen on David Forrest's watch. They wouldn't allow people to be bullied and treated like crap in a clubhouse. Their clubhouse. They wouldn't do it. That's why they've had their jobs for so long. They're pros. Now, it says we sincerely apologize. I, I think we're I think we're gonna need from them more than just the organization apologizes because of all the press releases that were put out. Because the GM didn't apologize. The owner didn't apologize. The only guy that apologized was A.J. Hinch. A.J. Hinch was the only guy. We now have Jeff Blum with us, the World Series champion, Astros TV, and the great Cal Bear. Blummer, what's going on, my man? Not too much. How we doing, fellas? How's the Bay Area? Uh, the Bay Area is absolutely beautiful. We're kind of having like that that fall heat wave right now. It really, uh, if you like to be outside, you want to play a little golf or whatever you like to do, uh, it, it's perfect here right now. Yeah, you know what's crazy is I think you guys have got the heat, and we're actually 75 and sunny down here in Houston, which is probably the only good thing going on right now down in Houston. Yeah, we'll, we'll, um, I, we'll just quickly address it because it's come down. It's the big news. And yeah. I, and I know it's been a very tough situation. Uh, it's clearly the Astros have not handled this correctly. Major League Baseball had to come in. Brandon Taubman has now been released of his duties. He's been fired. Just what has this been like since since, since the report came out on Monday? Um, it's it's just been that cloud that's been hanging over the organization. I think that the Astros. You know, they, they've done so much and worked so hard in the front office to create this ball club, and now they finally get back to the World Series. And it's unfortunate that the events unfolded the way they did. It's unfortunate, uh, you know, that it took a couple of days to really get down and figure out what had happened. But I think that the Astros felt compelled with all the evidence to make the move to fire Brandon Taubman. Yeah, it was uh, it was not a good look, and and we'll move on and get to the baseball. But do you think this at all? And it's I mean it's it's hard to really know. Do you think this at all affected the actual ball club? You know, that's always a tough tough thing to to think about because you know it may have affected the front office a little bit more uh, with the turmoil and trying to you know get out the right press releases and. You know, things weren't exactly going their way with how they handled it. And then the only thing I can imagine as a player, and of course the the players aren't going to admit to this, but I can only imagine the sensation of beating the Yankees in the American League Championship Series, celebrating, knowing you're going to your second World Series in three years, and then you have the off day, you show up for, you know, the training day the next day, and all of a sudden you get a question, hey, did you hear about what the the, the assistant GM did? And it probably put a little bit of a damper on what should have been a celebratory time. 
and turned into that dark cloud that was kind of hovering over the organization. And the Astros uh, figured it out that they needed to get rid of uh, Taubman, and he's gone. And hopefully they can move forward and play some baseball and focus on what's most important, which is going out there and winning some baseball games for the players. Yeah, we can start focusing again on the 115th World Series, and pretty cool. This is going to be the first World Series game in Washington, D.C. in 86 years. And there's only been three teams that have been able to come back from down 0-2 when they lost the first two at home. 85 Royals, 86 Mets, and the 96 Yankees. I mean, if there's really another team that can do it, I mean, clearly it's the Houston Astros. Yeah, you know what, I appreciate you saying that too because it gets, it gets kind of lost in the, in the fact that they've lost two games and they've lost, lost them rather ugly you know, giving up 17 runs, and then you say who lost the first two games, and it says Colin Verlander next to it in the L column, and you start to panic a little bit, but you're right. You know, in these seven-game series, luckily there's enough time to maybe right the shift and, and correct things a little bit and reinvigorate this team. But uh, if there is a team that can do it, it is the Astros, most notably because the pitching can be very good. But the thing that's really stuck out for me, even from the American League Division Series to the Championship Series to the World Series now, is how inept the the offense has been. It's been amazing to me to watch them be uncomfortable in the batter's box and not be able to come up with a big hit and just watching other teams really take it to the Astros pitching and do what the offense has seen themselves do throughout the course of the season. So as bad as things have been, the offense has been that much worse, and that's where I probably feel the focus is going to have to be in the next couple of games if they're going to try and get back in this series. Yeah, they've only, since the start of the ALCS, they have only hit 127 with runners in scoring position. And, you know, and, 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 and as an A's guy playing against the Astros so much, it's like it shocks you <laughs> when you see a number like that. No, it really is. And, I mean, I can't imagine how it frustrates other teams knowing that, uh, you know, you go up against the Astros, you watch them get the clutch hits, you watch them get the big home runs when they needed it, and now you're watching, you know, them go into the playoffs and not put up the numbers that you're accustomed to seeing. And what's interesting to me about the playoffs, too, as much as we want to harp on the offense, this offense is built for the playoffs. It's built to be deep. It's built to uh, run up pitch counts. It's built to you know, force the opposing manager – to use their bullpen appropriately, but at the same time, the Astros' offense has run into some very, very good playoff pitching, and what I've seen from Scherzer and Strasburg throughout the course of the playoffs, too, is a lot of the reason why the Nationals are in the uh, World Series, and they have stepped up and pitched brilliantly in the first two games against the Astros' offense. As you know, as a World Series champion, you know, there's something about when a team has that mojo and it's got that magic and it's got that chemistry and you're having a great time and, and, and everything's going your way because you've done it before. I mean, that's just what the Nationals look like. They're having a great time. Everything's going their way. What is that like? It, it's an amazing feeling, and I think it's really unique for the uh, Washington Nationals just because they've been that wild card underdog throughout the course of the uh, postseason, and I really feel that they've used that to their advantage. Now, I know everybody wants to point to the navy blue jersey being 8-0, and no, but sometimes just a little bit of a tweak, a little bit of a change in mindset can get these guys going. But these guys are a legitimate uh, ball club that's gone out there, and I think what really creates a massive amount of momentum and kind of fear, you know, strikes a little bit of fear in my heart is the fact that they went into a hostile environment of Minute Maid Park, an extremely loud crowd. They scored early, took the crowd out of it, put everybody on the edge of their seat, 
And now guess what? They're up 2-0, and and they're going to have the first World Series games in Washington, D.C., and who knows how long. And it's going to be an absolutely electric atmosphere for these guys to go out there and perform. I, I actually can't wait to see what type of situation it is in D.C. for these guys. You know, we're talking about Zach Greinke potentially being a Hall of Famer. And I think, you know, when it's all said and done, the numbers will put him in Cooperstown. But he has not been great in the postseason this year or really in his career. I think it's safe to say, and we'll see if you agree, this is the biggest start of his career. Oh, it has to be. And, I, you know, I think it's unique. We talked before we went to the playoffs uh, when we found out uh, that the Astros had won the American League West. And we, everybody had that what-if scenario. If the Astros make it to the World Series, who's going to be your Game 3 starter? And it was easy. It was going to be Zach Granke because he can swing the bat. But I agree with you in the sense that, you know, the track record as far as the regular season is concerned is great. Phenomenal Hall of Fame-type numbers that he'll be able to comp against. But we know in watching what's happened to Clayton Kershaw, what your legacy is really built on is what you're able to do in the postseason. It's one thing to be able to lead your team <clears> – <throat> excuse me – lead your team throughout the course of the season, it's another thing to go out there and lead them in the postseason. And that's where you really make a mark on your legacy. But uh, I don't know if it's going to be one of those situations where everybody's expecting them to go six shutout. I think they'd be really happy if they got, if they got a quality start out of Zach Granke, you know, going six innings, only giving up three earned runs, and hopefully the offense shows up. Yeah, then, then you know, we're looking at a bullpen game, right, for game four for the Astros? Yeah, that's what's going to be interesting to me, too. And that was actually one of the games that clinched it for him in the championship series. I think, you know, knowing that game four, and I'm sorry, I'm kind of stuttering a little bit because I'm kind of thinking in my head, trying to get an A.J. Hinge's head a little bit, because if it's a bullpen, you have Zach Greinke going game three. Game four is a bullpen day. So how far is Zach Greinke able to go? If he comes out early like he did in the division series, then all of a sudden you have a, a pseudo bullpen day with a three-inning opener in Zach Granke, and then you show up the next day and you have to have another bullpen day. So I wonder how it's going to affect A.J. Hinch going into that game four. Is he going to manage game three a little bit differently? Uh, you know, it's not a must-win situation, but I think it's a very desperate time where you, if you do have a lead and you see Granke getting beat up a little bit early on, you've got to back him up, and that could really cause some issues in game four for him if it is a bullpen day. Hey, can, can I play a highlight for you? <laughs> sure. All right, all right. Let, let's everybody just listen. Here, here we go. Longest game in World Series history. Blum <laughs> hits it into right down the line. It is gone. Jeff Blum, the former Astro, goes deep. And here in the 14th inning, the White Sox take a 6-5 lead. Jeff Blum gets his first at bat of this series and only his second of the postseason. Happy anniversary. That's uh, tomorrow. Yes, and I, I, would, I will never not come on your show if you play that for me. I always appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but, but as long as we're on in, in the Bay Area and a lot of Bay Area fans are listening to this, the sole reason I had the opportunity to get that swing and hit that home run left-handed is because of my, my time at Cal. It was Bob Milano, my freshman year, who said, you're going to switch it or I'm going to pull your scholarship. So, you know, I'm, I'm indebted to Bob Milano for the rest of my life because of the opportunity he gave me. But also, you know, that's why Cal is so near and dear to my heart because I learned how to switch hit there. And if I didn't learn how to switch hit, I wouldn't have had the career or the opportunities I had. God, we got so many Cal Bears around Major League Baseball. I mean, just look at the A's yeah. where you got Bob Melvin, you got Mark Canna, you got Marcus Simeon. I mean, there's Cal Bears everywhere. 
it's a beautiful thing. And, you know, I love going back up there because, you know, you see uh, Simeon walking around. I introduce myself. It's easy to introduce yourself to these guys because uh, Cal baseball players have a very good idea of, you know, the guys who came before them. So it's a lot of fun to kind of get around the cage a little bit. And if you haven't met a guy, you just kind of go, hey, go Bears. And they look at you and their eyes light up. So it, I'm very grateful to see that many Cal Bears floating around. They've done a good job over the years of, of producing not just talent, but, very, you know, pretty high-quality guys coming out of there too. Okay, so I need some recommendations. I'm coming to Houston tomorrow with the Raiders as the Raiders are taking on the Texans. So I'm going to need some restaurant recommendations. Um, The first one I'm going to give to you, and I'm I'm a little biased because I've worked with them in the past, but St. Arnold Brewery downtown has the best craft beers in Houston, and they've got phenomenal food. They hired a great chef out there. They've got great pizzas, burgers, uh, bratwurst. And the environment's perfect. They have outdoor dining. And like I said, you, you're going to be shocked when you get off this plane, Chris, because it's, it's 75. It's gorgeous. It might be a little, you know, it might be about 70 degrees tomorrow when you get down here, but it's going to be a phenomenal time. Little Woodrow's for sports bars are great spots. But yeah, when you get down here, make sure you text me. And if you need anything, I will definitely hook you up. Are you going to come to the football game on Sunday? You know what? I'm a little enticed now that knowing that you're going to be there. I may make a couple phone calls and see if I can get down there and maybe bug you. Well, hell, I'll get you in the game. Seriously? Yeah, of course. Oh, man. Okay, so we're on the phone. I know that. But I'm going to check my calendar real quick because I may make a point of doing that. Of course. Yeah. And then if you're around. Text Text me when you get down here. And then if you're around on Saturday, beer's on me. Well, that's well. That's how you make a friendship, right there, man. <laughs> hey, you've been so good to me over the years. I'd be honored to buy you beers, <laughs> and especially to do it down here in Houston. We don't have that opportunity too much because I'm always coming up to you over the course of the season. But if you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend and have a couple of beers with you. Oh, that'll be awesome! All right, buddy, enjoy the rest of the World Series, and I'll text you uh, when we land. Yeah, you better. I look forward to it, man. Safe travels, and thanks for having me on. All right, you're the best. Jeff Blum, the Blummer, the World Series homer. Never has to buy a drink again in Chicago. Yeah, I'll buy him drinks. Well, I spent the whole weekend buying A's people drinks in Green Bay. The professor. I don't even know if he has a wallet. He does, because he's bought me drinks before. Uh, And and you you better pony up, because next week's my birthday, so... Who always buys you drinks? We got to make a drop of that. Well, who the end we said, well, the great Chris Townsend, we'll yeah, go yeah. drinks. I'll make a promo out of that. That'll add it to our Baby Shark and all the other ones we've made so Baby far. Baby Shark. Da, 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 da. Hey, you know what the thing is? When I'm on the road, I just have to be able to talk by 1 o'clock on Sunday. <laughs> you don't realize we've just gone an hour and 15 minutes without a, without a break? I was going to mention that to you when we went to break on. We just did an hour and 15 minutes without taking a a uh, mandated break, although our breaks aren't mandated, so it doesn't no, matter. No, they're just so we can go to the bathroom and get some water. See, that's why you listen to this. You get the best guest in all of baseball. You don't have to deal with a ton of commercials. I mean, look what you've had on. We've had on Brian Kenny, MLB Network, Sarah Langs from MLB and ESPN, Jeff Blum, the World Series hero and broadcaster for the Astros, and Travis Shawchick, one of the top writers, and he's got the number one baseball book out, the MVP machine. He's joining us at 2.30. Jason Giambi, the MVP, one of the great A's of all time, will be here at 3 o'clock. And 
I was waiting for you to put this out there. And I've added friend of the program, the great. The face. The fa- no, not Alex Jensen. The real face of the franchise. Ray Fossey's going to join us at 3.30. So we'll do uh, buying or selling at 3.15. But, yeah, so we're going to do a half hour about World Series history with the great Ray Fossey at 3.30. This is why you listen to A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. So the commander just said to me, well, I, you know, I'm not sure that Blummer's going to be able to meet you on Sunday because the World Series. Uh, we sure there's going to be a World Series game on Sunday? Blummer just told you the major issue. And I, and I, and I have the proof to back it up. Zach Grinke hasn't topped 83 pitches in any of his three postseason starts. And he's averaging only 4.2 innings per outing. If Zach Grinke does not go out tomorrow and have a long start, and you're in a high leverage game here, where we're not talking about a blowout either way, you're going to have to throw your main guys. And then what? you're going to bullpen on Saturday? How are you going to bullpen on Saturday if Grinky doesn't give you innings on Friday? I, I went back and looked this up because you know how much of a Granky guy I am. And uh, are you, have, about, I, have I lessened? Uh, have I lessened your Grinky love at all? No, it's actually going up because as much how much you hate him makes me love him. I more. don't hate. I don't hate. I don't. I don't hate. Hate's a strong word. Dislike. Currently in baseball right now, well, I hate Verlander. <laughs> well, we went over that yesterday. Why? Yeah, that that's more of a that's more of a jealousy thing. But yeah, there are there are there are there have been players that I despise them as humans, knowing about them. Oh my God, I heard this one story. I can't even. I can't even. Oh my God. Um. But no, I don't. I I don't. I just you surprise me with this love of Grinky, like you were talking about Sandy Koufax. Well, I've been Tom Seaver. I've been one of those. I'm one of those guys that follows bad baseball teams, and I followed the Royals, and I liked Granky pitched the Royals, and then he went to the Brewers and the Dodgers, and then he pitched, he pitched for the Angels for a while, didn't he? So, like, he's moved around a lot, and then he's with the Diamondbacks, and I was with the Astros. And I openly will say that I, I want the Astros to win the World Series. But Granky this postseason, is 0-2 with the 6-4-3 RA, and you mentioned how he doesn't have the, the, the pitches and the innings. But I went back and looked. He had a game this year where he almost threw a no-hitter. And that's where the whole, I don't care about a no-hitter there. It's all about, it's too much of a hassle, blah, blah, blah. That was against the uh, the Nationals back on June 13th at Nationals Park. And he only threw 75 pitches. He only had three strikeouts, but still, 75 pitches are seven and a third. Now, will we see that Granky tomorrow? Or tomorrow? I hope so, because I think if he does, he pitches well, that just helps his Hall of Fame candidacy. Do you want to make your first ever bet? for tomorrow's game on your boy, Zach Grinke? I'm thinking about it because I almost going to say I, I guarantee that the Astros are going to win tomorrow. I mean, that if you believe, 
And on this program, we only bet food. Okay, so anybody in baseball is listening, don't 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 freak out. We bet food and <laughs> and beers in beers. I mean, if you want to have a if you want to have a uh, a brewery bet, what's our brewery uh, down by the Shark Tank? Floodcraft. I mean, Floodcraft Brewing. Finally, I, I got it right. I mean, maybe we could have a a, a Floodcraft bet. They do cl- they do carry plenty of the elder sometimes. I got it the other day. I love it. So yeah, I'll I'll do that. I I, I, I guarantee Zach Granke gets the Astros to a victory, and the Astros will be down two one heading into a bullpen game on Saturday. Well, bull, bullpen game for Your them. Your first bet will be on Zach Greinke, and it's for beers at the brewery. Confirmed. I'm for sure winning this now. <laughs> Don't let me down, Zach, because I'll, I'll come on Monday and just rip your career apart. They're going to sweep these guys. It's going to be so – it's going to be incredible. It really is going to be incredible. What? What? The Nats are going to sweep – they're going to beat Grinky because Grinky's soft, and he'll go like four innings – and then they'll have to do the bullpen thing, and next thing you know, Garrett Cole's having to come out of – they're going to get swept. What were we talking about earlier? Oh, uh, when I was talking about Strasburg and the uh... – Oh, my God. Did, did, did anybody see this? Strasburg had, had threw how many pitches? It was 114, and I told you I acquired official audio after the start. What happened to him? Oh, no, he had to go to the hospital. Oh, uh... He was going to go back out there for the seventh. Oh, my God. Uh, with 114 pitches? But then yeah, then the Nationals scored six runs. And they're like, hey, you know what? Let's bring in 42-year-old Fernando Rodney, former A. Let's uh, see how he does. Grandpa Shark. Yeah, Grandpa, as they call him, Grandpa Shark there in D.C. And they didn't need to use him again. But I was going to say, Granky wins tomorrow. And it comes down to, you say they win games four, game four, and it's 2-2. You lose game five in D.C., and you're going back for game six in Washington. Or in Houston on ga- on Tuesday, do you use Verlander or do you run with Granky on short rest? You would never go with Granky on short rest over Justin Verlander. I'm sorry. Uh, what's Verlander in the World Series? I don't think he's won a start. I lost five straight. Still ain't gonna happen. Uh, I don't know. It's just things to think about. Still not gonna happen. First of all, your man is averaging 4.2 innings per outing. So, hey, he's never pitched in the World Series before. Uh, well, I guess I say all bets are off, but so you're saying if Houston wins Friday and Saturday, or any any anyway, they they win tomorrow. They will definitely win tomorrow. They can lose Saturday and win, and they go back to Houston down three two. Who are you throwing out there for Game Six? Because you know Cole's going to pitch Game Five. You go Verlander, and then Grinky in Game Seven. You, you you have to go with what 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 got you here. True. I mean, Granky did go eight. I mean, haven't we learned that with the A's? Haven't we learned that a little bit? You know, always going with the, oh, let's go with the opener. Eh, that didn't work. Manaya's been hot. Well, let's go with that. didn't work. You know, I had no problem. You know, I can't, I'm not criticizing anybody because you went into Yankee Stadium and you said, we got a bunch of guys to throw hard and we're going to, we're going to staff it. Okay. I was cool with that. And then I was cool with Manaya because he'd been throwing the ball so well. But hindsight is twenty twenty. And yes, you can play armchair quarterback. And Mike Mike Fires, you've you've been in two wild card games. You've lost both, and Mike Fires hasn't been on the mound for either one. I know. And Just it, saying. And like I was gonna say about Granky, he won eight and one with the Astros with a three oh two ERA down the stretch after they got him, but 
postseason, he's 0-2 with the ERA over six. His career in the postseason, I think he's 3-6 and six with a 4-4-4 ERA, but he's never pitched in the World Series. So I think this is where it comes down to tomorrow. Well, and, I, and I've had people come up to me and go, why didn't they start Lazardo? That's another one of these. Sometimes it's better just to go with the known. Right? Sometimes it's better just to say, I'm going to go with what got me there. Not trick it up. Boy, if only uh, a couple years ago, I hate to bring it back to this, but if only the Pirates would use Garrett Cole and not Edison Volquez, that uh, run to the – that would have been different if a team would have used what got them there and not something like Volquez. It would have been different. That's the thing. It's like everybody, everybody, let's, let's, let, let's try something out of the norm in a big game. Start Lazardo, start Puck, Manaya, Liam Hendricks. When you look at what Fires did at home this year, now I know there have been some starts where, but you know what? Sometimes it's better just to go with what you know and not trick it up. And you just don't know how to get out of that wild card game. There, there's no magic. There's no. The wild card has just been no bueno. There's no question about that. But Jeff Blum agrees this is the biggest start in Zach Grinke's career. Because if he doesn't throw the ball well, the Astros will lose. And then we're talking about a sweep. And this will be the biggest upset probably. I, I may be wrong, but an upset sweep since the Reds swept the A's in 1990. One of the bright minds in the game, Travis Shawchick, MLB reporter for 538 and the co-author of the number one baseball book right now, MVP Machine, will join me next right here on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. Broadcasting from the town, here's Chris Townsend. Coming up here at around 245... Are we going to see some hardware passed around to the A's? What are we going to see with Chappie? Oli? Simi? <laughs> we got some gold gloves coming the uh, A's way? Grossy? Forgot about Robbie Grossman. Gro- oh, really? So we'll talk about uh, potential gold gloves for your Oakland Athletic. Ha- All right. Are you really going to tell me that, that Chapman and Olsen and Simeon are not going to win? I mean, that's like a no-brainer. Seriously. The only guy I think that could have tr- to give a problem to anyone is Angel and Simmons and Marcus. So that'll be the one that's probably the closest. Yeah, but Simmons was hurt. Yeah, but he's still out. I mean, yeah, he's very good. He's the best defensive shortstop I've seen in a long time. But that, I, that was always I, argument. Him or Crawford. Him or Brandon Crawford. Oh, B. Craw. No, I think uh, I, I think Simeon because everybody's seen the dramatic change. I, I think he's going to be a uh, a darling when it comes to this. I think you're going to have at least three gold gloves for the A's. Travis Shawchick is going to join us. He recently did a, an inter- a article on five thirty eight. Of course, we told you the MVP machine. It's the number one book in baseball. But how about the trend that's going on? The trend that starting pitchers, I mean, look at yesterday's game. 
look at yesterday's game. Unless you go out and you don't throw the ball well, they're going to allow you to go deeper now. I mean, these are high-stress outings. So if you can get six, but you're getting six with 114 pitches. Strasburg went 114. Verlander went 107. Now, that's not old school, but it's far more than what we've been seeing. In the, in the past, we've been seeing the hook so fast in the postseason. And that's why we joked, oh, my God, Strasburg wanted to go out there for the seventh inning with 114. Uh, will he have to go to the hospital? Will he be okay? You want, I, you want the best arms on the mound. I don't care what time of the game, win the order. And starters coming out of the bullpen has also been a weapon for teams. Guys that can come in and get more than three outs. Now, it's it's tougher to do that in a seven-game series. In the five-game series, wow. And in the World Series, though, when you see guys come out who've already pitched X amount of times, like Randy Johnson or Madison Bumgarner. I mean, Randy Johnson pitched game six and then came out and closed game seven. How badass was that in 2001? And that was incredible. And if you were the Yankees, like, oh, my God, not this guy. <laughs> Can you imagine? You got to go. You, you got to go Randy Johnson in game six. This is Kurt Schilling at the height of his career. You got Schilling in Game 7. And then after Schilling, here comes Randy Johnson to close it out. Love seeing that. Travis, welcome back to A's Cast Live with Chris Townsend. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Well, we've been talking about well, we've been talking about your book a lot. Your book is fabulous, the number one book in baseball. We've been pr- promoting it, and we're also promoting your article. Uh, the title, Starting Pitchers Are Getting More Work This Postseason, They Deserve It. It's been a very refreshing theme to watch star pitchers pitching longer in games versus what we've seen with bullpenning, and I'm glad you wrote an article about it. Yeah, it, it has been refreshing to see, and you know, I think the history of baseball, the, what you'd see in the kind of a marquee going into a game is the starting pitcher versus that's a starting pitcher, and that matchup was kind of a fun game within the game, uh, especially in the postseason. So we've, I think we've got a, we got away from that uh, in recent postseasons where I think last year there only, well, last two in 17 and 18, there only had 12 combined starts of 100 pitches or more in the postseason. I think we already have 18 this, this postseason period, and we've seen a lot of the best pitchers uh, in the game on the stage, and you know, the Astros rotation versus Nationals rotation. We've never had this many five uh, war pitchers or better in playoff in a, in a series in the World Series. Uh, so it has been refreshing to see. It's been it's been good for the game, I think. Oh, I, I totally agree. And why do you think we're seeing that when there's been such a trend about bullpens? Yeah, I, I mean, I think part of it is just uh, when you have a Garrett Cole at the top of his game and you have a Matt Scherzer. You let those guys do their thing, and you're not uh, – they're so good, you're not worried about them. Uh, they're usually better their third time through a lineup or even fourth time than your, your bullpen options. So I think that's part of it. 
But I also think, uh, you know, we covered this in the, the book is all about player development and advances there. And I think as pitchers, if pitchers are going to become better because of new training, because of adding pitches, developing more efficient mechanics, more velocity, if all pitchers are going to become better, the, the best pitchers are by definition starting pitchers because they have not been banished to the bullpen at some point in their career. So if starting pitchers become better, they should gain more work share back because they have the better command, they have better pitches generally, uh, and they're adding velocity. So I think one of the side effects of player development, uh, of this player development revolution, could be that the best pitchers get better because they're starting pitchers and they gain back some of that work share, that workload they've lost to bullpens. Yeah, I, I think about this year's bullpens, and bullpen innings were up again. They total about 40 per, 42% of basically all innings pitched. But then the bullpen numbers for so many teams, they weren't very good. It's like, yeah, we're seeing more innings, but it's almost like they're being exposed. So are, are, are we at like a tipping point where things might have to change? We might, you know, we're, we're going to need starters maybe going a lot more innings. <laughs> Yeah, I think there is, uh, especially with the 25-man roster, there's a limit to how much specialization you can have. And perhaps the game has reached a point where there just isn't enough quality relief arms to fit the strategy some teams want to do with relief usage. And for the first time, I think in 20-some years, uh, late in the season, starter ERA was better than bullpen or reliever ERA uh, on a per-inning basis. So, you know, that... That said, I mean, that could be a one-year outlier, but I do think it speaks to pushing the limits of bullpenning and relief usage uh, and starters getting back some of that work share. And I mean, even talking to Derek Falvey for that article, the the Twins GM, you know, he says that he believes one of the next things in uh, the player development uh, revolution, for lack of a better word, is trying to get more work out of your starters. And you almost have to because of the stress that's on a 25-man roster these days. And I don't think we can have a game that has more than 60% of innings or something soaked up by relievers. And I'm not even sure that that wouldn't even be a very enjoyable game to watch, I don't think. I think there's still uh, something very pleasing about seeing two great starting pitchers work deep into a game, especially in October. So I hope the game gets back to that a little bit. Uh, I mean, I think we all understand – you know, the power of matchups and late inning decisions, that sort of thing. And there is benefits of bullpenning, but yeah, perhaps it went too far. Yeah, I'm with you. I hope to God we get back to watching starters go deeper in games and less bullpens. You know, as Jim Leland was on this program, he said the best bullpen is a starter that goes seven or eight innings. So uh, I would definitely like to see that because, you know, it starts to scare me. And I think a lot of front office people will back this is that, you you just don't know year to year how your bullpen's going to be. Look at the A's. The A's bullpen last year was absolutely phenomenal. The A's bullpen at this year at times was a dumpster fire with 30 blown saves. <laughs> I mean, you you just rip from year to year, you don't know. Yeah, and, and part of the reason the Nationals have to rely on the rotation is their bullpen that second worst ERA in baseball outside of Baltimore was the 30th ranked. So they also have to rely on their great starters, but – one of the interesting things I found in that article is if you just look at starts of 100-plus pitches in the regular season, uh, guys actually t- – the worst split uh, – I looked at uh, five groups, and one of those was pitches 1 to 25 within the start, 26 to 50, and so on. And the worst performing split within that group was the first 25 pitches of, of a game. And that was sort of surprising because we've heard so much about how pitchers – 
typically get worse each time through the order and deeper into games. But if you just look at the good starts uh, in baseball since 1988 when pitch uh, counts were retract and we can look at splits if you just look at the 100 plus pitch outings starters actually got stronger within starts this year and in recent years and uh i don't think people i didn't know that i don't think many teams are are thinking that way about starters but i think there might be something to that old adage of uh you know good pitchers can get stronger within the game and we have seen that uh throughout this season and at times in october so i do think you know, the best to get seven quality innings out of the starter is ideal. And uh, maybe pitchers deserve a little more leash slack and they deserve to, uh, maybe we, we should really rethink, I think, pitch counts and times for the order and look at pitchers at a more individualized basis and to determine how deep they should go into games rather than just automatically pulling them in a set pitch count at a set time to the order. All righty, the World Series, the Nationals are up two zip. What do you think about the Houston Astros, and what chances do you give them? Because right now the odds are against them. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I uh, our 538 model of the Astros. I thought the Astros were the best team in baseball this year. But once you're in a 0-2 hole, you're uh, you're in big trouble, and the Nationals are the favorite now to, to win the series. Uh, now, that being said, if any team can overcome that kind of deficit, it, it is the Astros who have the best lineup uh, since the 1927 Yankees by – uh, looking at weighted runs created plus, and Garrett Cole, assuming his last outing was kind of a bump in the road, has been as good as any pitcher uh, in recent memory. So, I mean, they still have the you know the horses to get it done. But hey, an 0-2 hole in a best-of-seven series, that's, that's tough. And now going on the road. So uh, I think you have to like the Nationals at this point. But if you're going to play this scenario out 100 times, you, you know, the Astros are still going to probably win 40 of those. So they still have a shot. Uh, but, yeah, the, the Nationals are in a very good position. Yeah, we've been talking about you guys all year long, 538, and looking at the predictions, you know, where the A's were, wild card division, uh, getting into the playoffs. And, and, yeah, right now looking at it, the Nationals, 81% chance to win the World Series. Uh, <laughs> or maybe 20 times the Astros would win that if they played out. And, uh, yeah, Corbin's great. I uh, I thought it was interesting. I might have let him go a little longer in game one but since he was probably their best option of the bullpen, but now they have him fresh for, for game three. Uh, and, you know, we talk a lot about the, the Astros lineup, but Craig Turner, Juan Soto, Anthony Rendon, I mean, the Nationals have a very good lineup as well. So uh, it's, it's it really is a good series. And uh, while their Nationals are overwhelming favorites, uh, I still wouldn't completely count the Astros out, but. Yeah, it, it should be good stuff. And to see, we should, I think we might get another Scherzer-Cole matchup, which would be fun. Uh, so it, it feels a little old school in this, <laughs> in this very 2019 series, but uh, yeah, it's, been, it's been enjoyable. Your book, MVP Machine, has been a huge hit, and everybody in baseball has been talking about it. How much fun has that been for you to watch all these people in baseball constantly reference, referencing your book? Uh, well, yeah, that's that's always nice to hear for, for the book. And we feel, Ben and I feel like this book was something that had to come out this year because it was capturing uh, a big a big pivot in the sport towards this focus on player development. And this is the new uh, data-based, new tech, new ideas in player development is sort of the new money ball. That's where uh, competitive advantages are being had. So you know, we saw some of this beginning to take place last few years, but it really felt like there was an acceleration of this movement this year. So we felt it was important to try to hammer out that book as quickly as we could. And uh, we felt this kind of bubbling up more and more as we reported it. 
over 2018, and we've seen it, you know, explode explode this season, and it's only going to continue. And yeah, you know, it's exciting to see individual players get more out of themselves, to see teams uh, implement philosophies that extract more value out of players. Uh, I mean, even the Twins, who are all in on this, I think it's interesting what they've done with their catchers and their receiving ability. They've transformed. They've really improved framing pitch framing results all the way through their system from top to bottom just by changing technique and practices uh, and the power of this movement. So, I mean, I know the A's are interested in this and invested. Uh, so, yeah, it's been cool to see. And yeah, the timing of the book, I think, was uh, was good for where the game's at. We always appreciate the time. Enjoy the rest of the World Series, and we'll be reading you on 538. And, of course, we'll keep promoting the MVP machine. Take care. <laughs> Thank you so much. Travis Shawchick, one of the top writers in Major League Baseball. I, I, seriously, the, the book gets referenced constantly, like on, on MLB Network, constantly. It's a terrific book. Coming up next, are we talking gold in Oakland? We'll talk about it right here on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Oh, yeah. Who wants to talk gold gloves? So the gold gloves will be announced on November 3rd. Matt Chapman. Matt Olson. Marcus Simeon. And Robbie Grossman are finalists. For the gold gloves. We'll start with Chapman. He's with Bregman and David Fletcher. Chapman, his UZR was 14.8. He led Major League third baseman and defensive runs saved with 18. Total chances, 466. Putouts, he's getting the gold glove. Robbie Grossman appeared as an outfielder in 129 games without making an error and now has a 184-game errorless streak. Huh. Adam Benatendi and Alex, excuse me, Andrew Benatendi and Alex Gordon are also finalists. There's no way Uriel Guriel or Justin Smoke are going to match Matt Olson. Matt Olson could be the platinum gold glove winner. I mean, he missed 34 games, but he still led first baseman total chances, putouts, assist. His defensive run saved was 13. I mean, off the charts. And Marcus Simeon going up against Lindor and Simmons. I believe the A's will have three. I believe Matt Chapman, Matt Olson, and Marcus Simeon. Uh, where are you going in left? You going Gordon? I mean, Gordon's pretty good in left field. Yeah, and he's a he's won a couple of Gold Gloves already. Uh, he's at his age, I believe he's like thirty five, and he spent his entire career at the Royals. He's really good. Now, Robbie, wait a minute, he's thirty five. Yeah, Gordon's old. No way. Alex Gordon's old, bro. Out of Nebraska. No way he's 35. 
He is 35. Yeah. God, time flies. I know. How, how, many I mean, gold, how many gold gloves does he want? I, I remember when he came up and he was supposed to be the next George Brett because he was going to be a third baseman. He's won six. Yeah, six gold gloves. That's pretty good. It's pretty good playing at Coffin Stadium. Yep. Uh, and Benintendi, I don't. I, uh, sorry, a, unfortunately, I don't really watch a lot of Red Sox games. That's, well, a, that's, a, that, that's a tough left field. It is. I, I watch Mookie the Betts. Monster. It's it's funny because Mookie Betts and Jackie Bradley Jr. are the, the defensive outfielders to them that I think of. I don't think of Benintendi when when I think of them. Bradley is a much better center fielder and Betts and right, but Grossman. Uh, Stackhouse loves him for that new jump metric. Yes, they did. that is correct. He was one of the guys they fr- him. And that came out this year, and when did it come out? It surprised us. We're like, it was like May. It was like, uh, let me see. It was like June. It was when you were in Tampa Bay, and it was like, what is this metric? And are, are you serious? That was our that was friend of the program, Mike Petriello, that brought that started that wrote about that. Hey, oh, hey, here's another thing, Stackhouse. Statcast loves Chad Pender in the outfield. Well, that's like Grossman, because remember when we asked him, he goes, yeah, it's like a love-hate relationship with Statcast. <laughs> Chad Pender has the best break on balls of any outfielder for the A's. Yeah, he and he and he doesn't play the outfield that much. I think of Chad Pender as an infielder more than anything. And see, that's what's changed. You can put up UZR, you can put all that crap up there. Now with Statcast, I mean, they're basically measuring everything you do. So I don't need a I don't need a mathematical equation to tell me about a guy's defense when I can just go to Statcast and get it. Statcast will tell you how far a guy runs on every single. I mean, it tells you everything. I mean, you know those Ramon Laureano crazy plays, and then Statcast puts that all up. They measure everything, so I don't even know why you even need defensive metrics anymore. When they brought out that article, right? About, yeah, when they brought out the article about jump. The, uh, just all that stuff about defensive metrics. The guys that were mentioned there were Loriano, Grossman, uh, Guillermo Heredia, uh, Heredia from the Rays, and Kevin Kiermaier, who is, in my opinion, the best defensive outfielder in all of baseball, not just the American League. And those are the guys you always think of. And what Kiermaier does is incredible. But Grossman, if you're not watching the A's play every night, you're not seeing what he does, but he has a 100-plus 80, 180-game airless streak. And I I remember him as a twin and an Astro, and I, I never remember him being such a good outfielder, but I watched him this year. He's a very solid left fielder defensively, and he'll give you about, he'll about 250 for you. So he's a, he's a really solid, you know, fourth outfield option if you need him or a, uh, a spot starter in the outfield for you. Simeon getting a gold glove will be one of the great stories I've ever seen. As, as, as bad as he was, to then turn it around, and be as good as he is now is it w- incredible. I'm looking at how many errors did he have that first year? He had like 36, I, I think say, because the Astros as a team com- committed, I think, 74 and by errors the way, this year. And he got bailed out on a bunch more on throws that, that were scooped up. He could have had well over 40. Was that Nate Fryman playing first base? It was a, <laughs> it's a lot of different guys. But how many did, did look at it? Uh, I, th- I think it's thirty six, but it could have been. It could have. It could have been close to fifty. I remember there were so many balls. I mean, you cringed when it was hit to him. But what he is now, Marcus Simeon's one of the best players in baseball. It's one of the great stories in baseball. Also, one of the great stories is going to join us next. Former MVP of your Oakland Athletics. And he's coming to fantasy camp. Jason Jambi next right here on A's Cast Live. This is A's Cast Live. 
your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back. Looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Go! It's one out. Pete Alonso, he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Well, if you got nothing to do in January... And you want to have a blast? I would make it down to Arizona. January 9th through the 14th, all you need to do is put in Oakland A's Fantasy Camp in Google, and it'll take you right to Because MLB.com slash athletics slash fans slash fantasy dash camp. Just put in Oakland A's Fantasy Camp. It'll take you right to the link. January 9th through the 14th, you're going to have Dave Stewart. You're going to have Vita Blue. You're going to have Dallas Braden, Campy Campanaris, Bobby Crosby, Carney Lansford. I mean, think about that. Dave Stewart, Vita Blue, Dallas Braden, Campy, Bobby Crosby, Carney Lansford, and then... We have just found out one of the great A's, AL MVP, five-time All-Star, two-time Silver Slugger Award winner, AL Comeback Player of the Year, the great Jason Giambi is going to be there, and he joins us here on A's Cast Live with Chris Townsend. Jason, it's great to have you back on the program. Thank you so much for having me. Sorry, we got our times crossed up a little bit, but uh, it's my fault. But I appreciate you guys making time for me. Oh, no, for you, anything. And I think about, I mean, look at the names that are going to be there at Fantasy Camp with with Stu and Vida and Dallas and Campy and Bobby Crosby and Carney Lansford and yourself. This thing's going to be a blast. Oh, we're going to have a great time. I mean, it's so great to see a lot of those guys. And uh, this is going to be my first Fantasy Camp. So I'm enjoying it, looking forward to it, you know, being with all the Ace fans and Days Grace and Connie and Dave Stewart and Ida and everybody, so it's going to be exciting. You know, and I think about your time. I mean, your last year was 2014, so it hasn't been that long since you were in uniform, and I know you got the young kids now. I bet you're going to be itching to take a little BP. Oh, I, I don't know about that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I had lots of fun. You know, I've got a few things here and there, but you know, I always laugh because my kids, when they watch me play now, because they only watch me on YouTube. They're so young, they don't even know what it was like when I played, so they can only watch me on YouTube. How old are your kids now? Seven, five, and two. So the, so the seven-year-old is starting to figure out dad was kind of a big deal. Yeah, she laughs about it. She was born near the end of my career, and, uh, you know, she came to a few games. She didn't like all the noise, but she liked all the dancing. She liked all the, the music they played at the stadiums, but uh, it's a lot of fun. You know, they, they make fun of me and with the long hair and everything else, so we have a good time with it. Yeah, and, and the cool thing about it is, 
and, and I've heard this for years, and we're, we're going to try and get down there and do the show from there. But it's like the relationships that you build, it's, it, they're, they're really relationships that become lifelong relationships. Oh, there's, there's no doubt. You know, I mean, when I broke into the big leagues, you know, Carney was there and Dave Stewart was there and all these guys were still there. I remember, you know, getting a chance to play with all those guys. I mean, they were my idols growing up, and here I am playing in the big leagues with them. And then Bobby Crosby came after I was with the A's, but his dad is the one who drafted me. So I've known Bobby since he was a young kid. And, you know, Dallas is always great. And we played together the second, my second suit with the A's. So it's exciting, you know, and you got Campy and Vida, who, I mean, great to the game. So it should be a lot of fun. Yeah, so all you need to do is go to Google and put in Oakland A's Fan Fest, and the link will pop up. Mesa, Arizona, January 9th through the 14th. And, and what's so cool about going down there is you're going to be wearing the big league uniform, you're going to be playing in games, and then there's going to be the nighttime entertainment, but you're going to be using the same facilities that the big leaguers use that, Jason, most fans never get that opportunity to even see what these facilities look like. Oh, they're, they're unbelievable. Like I said, the game is really transformed now. Where spring training and all these facilities are, I mean, are a huge deal now. And it, they're incredible. They're great to be a part of. And like I said, this is the fun part uh, for the fans and also the players, you know, to have that interaction, you know, where you kind of grow up and you listen to the stories. And, oh, I mean, it's funny now. I, I grew up and go to these events and, you know, have these, oh, I was a young kid when you were playing the game. And, you know, it was like 25 years old now. And so it's exciting. You know, it's, it's a chance to, to give back to the fans who were always there rooting for you. Yeah, staying at a four-star resort in Scottsdale, that doesn't suck. Every camper is no. going to – No, hanging out in a nice resort in Scottsdale. No, it, it doesn't suck. No. Oh, are you kidding me? The weather is going to be perfect. Every every camper is going to get a home white uniform. You get a room. You get transportation to the resort, to the fields. It's breakfast, lunch. And then I hear there's a few uh, uh, libations uh, later that night with everybody hanging out telling stories. Oh, it'll be great. Yeah, I think there's going to be some Q&As and, and everything. It'll be a lot of fun. I mean, it's that interaction that, like I said, as a player and also as a fan that you always dream about, having that interaction. Because, you know, when you're playing in your career, it's hard sometimes. Uh, you know, spring training is always great. But when you're playing the season, it's about, you know, winning games and trying to go to the World Series. But this is the time that you you have that intimate setting where – you can talk baseball forever. You can talk about old times. You can talk about great stories. And it should be a lot of fun. Yeah, and there's another package where you can get an upgrade on accommodations and get the Kelly Green jersey and then a day of golf with A's alum. So you can check it all out, athletics.com slash fantasy camp. Uh, you know, the World Series going on right now, Jason, and obviously shocking a little bit as uh, y- y- you're down in Vegas and, and, the, and, the, and the big favorites in this were the Houston Astros, and they find themselves down 0-2 after two games at home going to now Washington for game three. How shocked have you been about this World Series? To be honest with you, I haven't. I told all my buddies out here, they kept asking me, like, who this is put their money on being in Vegas. I'm like, listen, if the Washington Nationals get into this, they're going to be tough to beat. They're just so unbelievable on the mound, and I don't think they get enough credit offensively. I mean, they have some great hitters on their team. Obviously, they don't. it's harder to show that type of hitting when you're in the National League because you can pitch around guys and things like that. But 
I mean, I I, I've, I expected them to be in the World Series, to be honest with you. If they got past that first Walker game, because, I mean, when you're Scherzer uh, and, and everybody else that you're at Strasburg and everybody else, I mean, they have an unbelievable starting pitching, and that's what wins in the playoffs. And I think about that X factor that you can't predict, you don't know you're going to have it, but they've got that magic mojo going right now. And, like, you're looking into their dugout. It's like they're having a blast. They got dancing going on. They're driving the car together. I mean, there is that continuity. There is that chemistry. And then you look over to the Astros dugout, and they look absolutely miserable. Well, I think there's something to be said about they. I mean, the, the Washington Nationals have been in a dogfight for the last, what, month and a half, two months to get into the playoffs in the wild card. And, and like I said, it's, I've been on that side of the coin where you've been a wild card, you've won your division so easily, and then it's hard to re, recapture that intensity again when you know, you're okay, we've won 100 games, we're in the playoffs, let's go win the World Series. Where Washington's been in a dogfight. You know, they've been in a dogfight for a long time, so they have that intensity, you know, and which has carried them all the way through. And they've, and they've been the underdog because – Houston, you know, everybody's picked Houston or there was a time when the Yankees were up there and everybody else. So Washington has something to prove. You know, they definitely have something to prove this year. You had a 9-11 OPS in your career in the postseason with seven home runs and 19 RBIs. You hit 290, all very good numbers. What is it like in the postseason where every single pitch, I mean, you're hanging on every little thing in the postseason. Oh, there's no doubt. There's, I mean, every pitch means something. That intensity's there, you know, where you kind of play during the season where you can kind of take a pitch off or take, you know, an out off sometimes depending on what position you play. But you can't do that because, I mean, one run is such a big deal in the playoffs. And, I mean, it's been so fun to watch these two, you know, powerhouses play. And, you know, I think, as you said, I've been shell-shocked a little bit. I just knew that when Washington got in there, they were going to be tough to beat with their starting pitching. And one thing we've talked a lot about on this show is about it's great to see starting pitchers actually really playing a big role, going deeper into games, throwing more mm-hmm. pitches. And, I mean, this is the era you played in where you had big-name starters, and big-name starters, it just makes the game better. you got star power out there on the mound. Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, well, it keeps everybody in the game. You know, it, it really does. It keeps everybody watching the game on TV, going deep in the games, and, you know, and like I, like you said earlier, I mean, one pitch makes such a huge difference. I mean, look how fast last night's game got out of hand real quick. I mean, one pitch, and before you know it, it's a barrage of hits and runs, and, and that's what happens in the playoffs. It's so unpredictable. I mean, you can have a win-hit shootout, or you can have blowouts, and, and that's the exciting part about playoff baseball. Well, it's going to be a great time down in Mesa, Arizona. Jason, thanks for the time, and we're going to promote this thing, and hopefully we'll see you down there January 9th through the 14th. Thank you so much for making time for me. I'm very grateful, and I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I can't wait to see everybody. Great stuff, Jason. Always a pleasure. Jason Giambi, the MVP. That is a lineup. Giambi, Dave Stewart. Vita Blue, Dallas Braden, Burt Campanaris, Bobby Crosby, Carney Lansford. Let's see. Stu has three rings. Vita's got three rings. Burt Campy, he's got three rings. I think Carney's got one. 
if I'm correct, that would be 10 World Series rings combined with this group. Speaking of World Series, we're going to have a guy that's won two World Series, two gold gloves. You know what I'm talking about. And two-time All-Star. Yeah, he'll be on. The but face. When Jambi was on, I was looking up his numbers. His second year, second year in New York, he led the league in walks with 129. He led the league in strikeouts with 140, and he led the league in hit-by-pitches with 21. That's incredible. How many times do you see a guy that leads the league in walks and strikeouts? All right. So you can also contact Matt Langseth at mattlangseth at athletics.com or call 510-563-2363 for, if with any questions or to secure a spot in Fantasy Camp in Mesa in January 9th through the 14th. That's yeah. 2020, people. A- 2020. A- ath- you know, sometimes people are driving when they're listening to this, so you can say athletics.com slash fantasy camp, or it's this simple. Go to Google. Oakland A's fantasy camp. And the first thing that I, I did it myself, the first thing that pops up is the link. It's that simple. The email is M L A N G S E T H at athletics.com if you didn't get that. Hey, you know who's not on here, but I think is going to be there? It's Shooty. I think, I, think, yeah, I think Shooty's supposed to be there. Yeah, Shooty's going to be there. We need to be there. The question is. If we're there, isn't Fossey close to there? I'm sure Fossey will show up at some point. Oh, if we're there, Fossey will come down. No question. He might have to co-host the show with us. Can we broadcast using this technology down in Arizona? Uh, yes. We could, we could go to Shout and do it. Technically, yeah, we could. Ruth, we're coming in. Ruth! Hey, Ruth, does Ruth have a couple extra rooms? Uh, I believe so. I believe she's offered that to us once Sleep before. on the couch? Okay, coming up next, we're going to do buying or selling early. Why? Because the great Ray Fossey is going to talk World Series history with us coming up here at 3.30. Buying or selling next. Streaming from the East Bay, Ace Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. All right, behind the scenes, I got to tell you this. So there, there, there are other teams that are starting to look at what we're doing here with Ace Cast Live because it's awesome, and they want to copy it. They, they, they want to do it. And there's one team that Commander Cody talked about, and I'm like, certain teams, man, I can't imagine doing this. Like, there's certain teams that just don't win. They don't win, ever. The A's have been to the playoffs 10 out of the last 20 years. We got something to talk about every day. Some of these teams, they never win. And if they do win, it's like one year. Can you imagine? Because we're, you know, talking about the guys being hired today. And Commander, Commander was talking about the Padres. They hired a guy. Where did my notes I, go? I would save it because I have him in buying or selling. Jace Tingler. Who the heck is Jace Tingler? Oh, there's two different buying or selling questions about him in there. 
How? I don't even know who he is. I don't either. That's why I'm going to ask you. I, I, I'm selling. I don't know who he is. Well, let's get to it then. All right. It's time for Buying or Selling. Sell, sell. Right now with Chris Townsend on A's Cast Live. So you broke the news. It's not really breaking it if it already happened, but the San Diego Padres, or the Friars as we like to call them here, have hired 38-year-old Jace Tingler. Who's Jace Tingler? Well, he was the Rangers' Major League Player Development Field Coordinator this season under Chris Woodward. They had a good uh, first half of the year. They were actually ahead of the A's for a while. And now uh, they fell apart. He's currently managing a team down in the Dominican Winter League. They're 9-1. 9-1. Watch out. Padres fans have something to get excited about. He replaces Andy Green, who was fired on September 21st after going 274 and, get this, 366 with the team since he was hired ahead of the 2016 season. Now, the Padres are looking to make a, hopefully, a return to the playoffs for the first time since 2006. That was a oh. long time ago. Oh, God. That's the last time the Padres were in the playoffs. Yeah. They won a game, though, but still. Where were you in 06? Uh, I was a senior in high. Uh, no, I was even, I was finishing my junior year, going into my senior year of high school. Th- CA's fans, think about this. This is why I say all the time, yeah, it sucks losing the playoffs. But some of these teams, I mean, that was the year the A's actually moved on to the ALCS was 2006. Yeah. Frank Thomas. Last time the Padres were in the in the uh, in the playoffs was when Frank Thomas was. I mean, come on, that's so bad. So buying or selling, because we joke about this all the time. Buying or selling, your brother told the Padres to hire Jace Tingler. Yeah, my brother plays golf with a couple of uh, <laughs> high-end Padre guys. I, I texted my brother, who who is this guy? My brother hasn't responded back. So my brother and the Padres have made no comment <laughs> on. Uh, on, on, on who this this guy is. I You know what? I'll guarantee you this. Buying or selling, he's making under a million dollars a year. Oh, buying. Totally buying. Oh, yeah. This is going to be – I guarantee you what this is. A.J. Preller came from the Rangers. This guy is going to be a puppet. He makes no money. He's going to do whatever the front office does. And after they fail for two years, he'll be out. Okay, well, hold on. So Henry Shulman, who covers the Giants for the Chronicle, put a tweet out probably like less than an hour ago. Bruce Bochy was on in front of the program, Mad Dog Chris Russo, and he said that, and when asked if he wants to manage again, he said, this year is like a sabbatical, meaning 2020. I'll see where I'm at, and I, and I don't know how I'm going to feel, but I'd love to have one more shot. Wait a minute. I thought he was retiring, and everybody had to give him all these gifts. Buying or selling, Jace Tingler makes a pass this season as the manager of the Padres. With Bochi sitting in the wings, I'm selling. I wonder if Tingler got a one-year deal. Uh, we probably will never know. Or a two-year deal. I mean, the guy has no leverage. Wait a minute, Giant fans. I thought I thought Boach was done. That's what I was always led to believe. No, here's the deal. Farhan is like everybody else. He wants to run the show. Farhan has to find somebody that's going to do what he wants. You can't – Bochy's not that guy. You're not bringing in Bruce Bochy again because you're going to tell him, here's your lineup, this is what you do every day. You don't bring in a guy like Joe Madden, who, oh. by the way, his press conference oh, today was, was fabulous. So, we'll have to say – I'm going to save the best part for Monday where he it, talks about – Joe Madden says, and uh, we're going to bunt. 
<laughs> that and talking about data and, and art and analytics. And then he calls everyone in the front office dudes in the front office. Like, yeah. It's incredible. Incredible 20 minutes. Basically, Joe Madden said today at his press conference, yeah, we're going to use analytics, but we're also going to be old school. Did you also see us say that Trout won the uh, Hank Aaron Award? And I wanted to tweet it out as a joke, but I figured it's a, seeing that Dean is an Angels fan, she would have been broken. That, that's your girlfriend. You need yes. to tell people. Well, okay. Anyway, Trout finally makes it to the World Series, and he still can't make it. Oh, wow. Look at the Trout. Hey, Brian Kenny, <laughs> I gave him the option today. You can draft anybody. Who did he take? Trout. He didn't take Soto or Acuna. But he had Bregman in there, my guy. He had, hey, took Aaron Judge ahead of some people. I'm like, I mean, Aaron Judge is good, but the guy's hurt all the time. Alex Bregman looks, I mean, regular season. Those couple errors he had last night were not good. The Alex, home run he hit was great. Alex Bregman, man, wow. he's How's he doing so far? Oh, he hit that, well, he did have two, drove in two of the three runs the Astros scored. Uh, he hasn't been hitting. Okay, so let's get to the next buying or selling question. We've been seeing uh, a lot of analysts hired, so I'm just going to play this music now because this team is still looking for a manager. So our beloved Mets are still looking for a manager. We saw David Ross hired by the Cubs, uh, Joe Girardi hired by the Phillies, Eduardo Perez has now had several interviews with the Mets. What do all three of those guys have in common? They are baseball analysts on TV. Aaron Boone was an analyst, so was Alex Cora before he was hired. Mark DeRosa gets mentioned a lot, but he said he has not gotten the call. D-Row. Which, which I don't believe. Buying or selling, not friend of the program yet. Eduardo Perez will be the next manager of the New York Mets. Eduardo Perez. I mean, I really don't have an opinion on it. But it's, it's our Mets. I'll buy. By the way, your boy Bregman. He's a nice uh, 230 hitter in the uh, postseason in his career. Mm. Small sample size. It's like Granky. Small sample size. It's 39 games. Yeah. All right. Well, never mind. He's got power, though. Eight home runs. Well, yeah. And you see the home runs. Every home run he's hit off of, they've all been all-stars. Now we hit one off last night off Strasburg. So the list goes on and on. So in this series, we see, we speaking of stars, we've seen a lot of stars. Rendon, Strasburg, Scherzer, Soto, the names come from the Nats. Verlander, Granke, Altuve, Correa, Springer, my guy, Jordan Alvarez, and Alex Bregman. Also, two good managers in Hinch and Martinez. Friend of the program, Anthony Castrovince, in an article enlisted 13 different guys who you can make a case for the Hall of Fame. Either they're going to be in, could be in too soon, blah, blah, blah. Buying or selling, we could see five potential Hall of Famers in this series. We already know Verlander is going to be one. Altuve's on his way. Scherzer. Scherzer. Probably okay. L2, uh, probably L2, Granky. Uh, that, that, that's an easy buy. You only have it at five? Well, yeah, because you don't know about Cole and all the other guys. You got the four that are probably in, in, uh, are trending, and Verlander, Scherzer, uh, Altuve, and Granky. I don't think Strasburg's a Hall of Famer yet. Garrett Cole's not a Hall of Famer yet. Well, not yet, but you're just asking. There's going to be five in this series. Yeah. Buying or selling. I think no question you'd buy that. Okay. You don't think Bregman can have a Hall of Fame career? I do. Carlos Correa could have a Hall of Fame career? I don't know what's going on with him right now. Soto could have a Hall of Fame career? Soto already, a lot of people, he already is a Hall of Famer. At 21 years old, he's yeah. a Hall of uh, Famer? He'll be 21 tomorrow. I mean, do you see what I'm saying? I think that's an yeah. easy buy. I, I just wanted a low number because I was looking at it just based off of where they're at in their careers now. And it's like, okay, they haven't done enough yet, but 
I was basing off of also the guys I think are going to get in. And then the other guys you can make a case for is probably Cole if he keeps us up and maybe Strasburg. But we'll see. So knowing that your Nats, as you like to call them now, when you text. They are my Nats. When you text Pearl and my, uh, the professor and myself about them. They're returning home to play a World Series game for the first time since FDR was in office. The last time that was made to the NLCS was in 1981 when they were the Expos. The Expos logo is still one of the most popular ones in all of baseball, according to myself. Buying or selling the Nationals should wear an Expos uniform during one of the World Series games in D.C. I'm the Expos are getting a team. Why would you wear the uniform? That's true. The, Mont- the Montreal Rays, huh? Would they bring back? Would they? Would they go with the old school unis? Probably not. So but. the Expos were one of quite a few teams that wore blue uniforms. Yeah, I was going to say they had the all blue uniforms. The Phillies, the Royals. Didn't the Brewers do it too? The Brewers, the Braves. The Expos. There was a bunch of teams that had blue unis. I I, I like the Nats have or the Expos had the cool logo, and I just think that's they had the red, white, and blue hats, which are dope. They could again. We always talk about this. They could have won. They probably would have won the World Series in '94 if there wasn't a strike. So, so speaking of seasons and season starting, basketball starts tonight for the Golden State Warriors. They'll be playing in Chase Center for the first time tonight. Though without Clay Thompson, who's probably going to miss the whole year, Kevin Durant, who left to go handle the East Coast media. Good luck. Kyrie dropped 50 points last night in his Nets debut, and Kevin Durant's probably big mad, as a kid say, because everyone's going to love Kyrie, and he's going to feel like they don't love him enough. Anyway, the Warriors over-under in Vegas is at 46.5. Buying or selling, the Golden State Warriors will, will miss the playoffs this year. Selling. You only I, have to be an eight seed to get in. I don't know, but everyone keeps saying, I don't know. I'll I don't say know. that you want a hot take. Since we came from yes. a radio station where you weren't really allowed to have hot takes on the Warriors, everything's got to be positive. Let's just really see what kind of coach Steve Kerr is now. I was going to say, let's, I was thinking you were going that way. Yeah. Say, Steve's a wonderful man. Like him a lot. Was nice to me. But everybody threw a whole lot of praise on Steve Kerr as this greatness of Steve Kerr. Well, every single night, Steve Kerr's team had the most talent. Let's just see how good of a coach he is now when he's going to be having certain nights where his team doesn't have the best talent. They've got no depth. They're missing stars. Let's just see how good of a coach he is now. Yeah, call the face. The great Ray Fossey. Foss just texted. Oh, wait a minute. You know what? Is he calling from a landline? Yeah, he does have a landline. So, I, you know what? Coming back, we'll have Ray Fossey. We're going to get his landline, and then we'll give him a call. Right here on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. All righty. Raymond Fossey is going to be joining us here in a moment. Talk a little bit about World Series and what it's like to play in one, what it's like to get ready for a World Series, how tough it is to repeat 
Only three, only two teams have won at least three World Series in a row. That's the Yankees and that's the A's. Two-time World Series champion, two-time All-Star, two-time Gold Glove winner, the face of the franchise, Ray Fossey with us here on A's Cast Live. Foss, how is your offseason going? Uh, it's going just great. How about yours? Well, I miss being around everybody, and I, and I wish the athletics were still playing. It would have been nice, but I think you can look forward to next year. Uh, great pitching staff. I think things are going to be a lot better. Uh, the club is going to be, I think, even better, having played in back-to-back postseasons. And you learn a lot. And I think the A's have learned uh, this past year and some good things I think are going to be happening in the future. You know, when I think about winning the World Series, it is not easy to do. It's not easy to repeat. And I think, like, right now what you're seeing, as people are going to hear this interview for the next couple weeks, but right now when we're doing this interview, the Nationals are up 0-2. You know what it's like to be an underdog in the World Series. Uh, take us through it, because I'm, I'm assuming you, you take it personally. I think exactly right, and I, I think from the national standpoint, uh, watching the game and, and hearing everybody say, well, the uh, Nationals, uh, severe underdogs coming into the game. But you know the one thing, or in the World Series, the one thing that the Astros have, but I think the Nationals have better, and that's a starting staff. Because when they signed Corbin, they got Max Scherzer from Detroit. Of course, they had Strasburg, who you know, was drafted by them. And how about Anibal Sanchez? I mean, that's four outstanding starting pitchers. You get starting pitching, you're going to win a lot of World Series. And, and Tony, I've said this before, and you've heard me say it, but I'll say it again. In 1974, the A's used a total of five pitchers in a five-game World Series and became world champions for the third consecutive year against the Los Angeles Dodgers. So it can happen, but if you have good pitching, because always realize that in postseason, you're facing the best. And hitting will be down. And it's been proven that that has happened, except last night or the, the second game whenever Kurt Suzuki hit the home run and then the Astros or the uh, Nationals scored all those runs. But, you know, it, it, I thought with the layoff that the Nationals had after sweeping the Cardinals in the uh, uh, National League Championship Series, I thought they would be a little bit down. But maybe, as they kept saying, the older guys needed the time off. But bottom line, they've played outstanding baseball, and, and I think that is the bottom line. The, the week off didn't affect them. The Astros are not playing at least the way we have seen them in the past. So it's, it's great to see the Nationals do so well. well we're, we're happy for Kurt Suzuki, obviously, and a, a great story about him almost retiring, similar to Stephen Vogt, why I've stepped in. Hey, you're going to continue to play. And in both cases, it's turned out to be great. What was the first World Series you remember as a baseball fan growing up in Illinois? I remember when actually World Series were played during the daytime. How about that? Wow. And sneak my transistor radio into the class and listen to the game because we had to go to school. But remember, too, at that time, and we're going back several years, the division series or the league championship series, what, 1969? Because I know when we played in the World Series, it was a league championship series of five games just to get to the World Series. But when I was growing up and listening to the World Series, they were over by probably the 10th or 12th of October because – at that time, it was the American League playing the National League. They go to the World Series, seven-game series, if that's what it's going to be, and all of a sudden it's over. But I, I, I'll be honest with you. I think it's harder now because you have the wild card. 
you win that, then you have to win the division series of five game. It's almost a breath of fresh air when you get into the league championship series because it's seven games. And of course, the World Series is seven games as well. I don't believe that, you know, people say, well, the two out of three in the wild card. And, you know, people will listen to me and say, well, the A's have lost the wild card the last two years. But in essence, if you think back not too long ago, a wild card, the fourth and fifth best teams never had a chance to even get in postseason. So it's really been beneficial. Uh, I think the uh, Angels won their own world championship as a, as a wild card winner. The Giants did it. Uh, the Nationals are trying to do it. And, and so if, if that's the case, um, you know, more power to them to be able to do that. But have the one game, have it be do or die, win or go home. And that's what the Nationals did. Unfortunately, they did not do it. But to answer your question, it was a lot of fun growing up. I always liked the Cardinals. They were my favorite team growing up in Southern Illinois. I had the choice between the Chicago Cubs or the St. Louis Cardinals. Cubs were farther up north in Illinois than the Cardinals were in uh, in St. Louis. So maybe in today's world with the freeways, hour and a half. But you know, I thought it was a 10-hour road trip. You know, to go to watch the Cardinals game when I was growing up. But it was a lot of fun to listen to the Yankees play. Uh, the Cardinals and World Series, and, and just really live a dream that I had hoped that would happen. And fortunately, it did for me because in third grade, I said I wanted to be a professional baseball player, and I was able to uh, to have that dream come true. And then, of course, stay in the game as a broadcaster even better. And back then, as we're going through the history of the World Series and how do you prepare for a World Series, back then the National League and the American League didn't play. So when right. you're getting ready for your opponent, what did you have in 73 and 74? What did you have on the Mets? What did you have on the Dodgers? Because you never played them. Great scouting. And I, I'm very happy to hear and read recently that A.J. Hinch talked about the importance of scouts. Uh, you have to have them. And, and if you don't play, and no interleague played during that period of time like you mentioned, you depended on your scouts. And I remember after beating in my first, it was the Orioles both times, but in 1973, I'll be honest with you, Tony, I was a nervous wreck thinking we have to win game five to even go to the World Series. And so by the time we had our scouts tell us about the, the New York Mets in 1973, you know, it was like, what are you talking about? I, I'm just trying to catch my breath because it was almost anticlimactic just to get into the World Series. But scouts are so important because during the month of, September, as we travel, you'll see, we will see all kinds of scouts from all teams. And as teams are eliminated, you see those scouts go home. And, and we saw that with the Cleveland Indians. Once they were eliminated, I think there was a scout in Seattle, and he said, well, see you later. I'm out of here tomorrow because the, the Indians had lost. But they have advanced scouts. They, uh, I, I, the one thing I remember, um, the Yankees had two scouts. And we, scouting, even during the regular season, they had a pitcher, former pitcher, who scouted the pitchers and a former position player who scouted the position player. And that was unheard of because normally you have one scout doing the advance. But you get to postseason, you'll have every team with the possibility of getting to the postseason, attending games, watching. You know, of course, everybody's watching the A's figure they're going to advance beyond the wild card and, and go beyond to even get to the World Series. Unfortunately, it didn't happen. But, but the scouts are the most important thing, Tony. If you do not have a good scouting system, guys who can – pinpoint exactly what's going on i remember talking to sal bando after the 72 world series and of course whenever we became teammates i said how did you do it and the scout told them exactly everything that the cincinnati reds were going to do and i experienced that same thing whenever 
I was part of the team playing the New York Mets. We knew everything about them. We knew what Tom Seaver was going to throw, what Jerry Kuzman was going to throw as a pitcher, you know, what, how Rusty Staub was going to hit. I mean, there were no shifts, but I will admit that our guys could have probably pitched to the shifts a little bit better than some in today's world. But scouts are so important, and you have to have scouts not watching TV. You have to have scouts in the stands making sure that they see every little thing happen. Because on television, as you know, when we show things on TV, we're showing the play. Maybe something's happening with the positioning of an infielder and outfielder that a scout in the stands can see, and that is something that's really going to help a team when you've never seen them. What are the little things? You know, we can, we can know the major things. What are the little things that a team or a player might be doing that can help us beat them? And in the case of the Mets and the Dodgers, we knew exactly that. And it, it definitely helped. But if you don't have scouts, Tony, you do not win. And I'm sure that the Astros had scouts, a whole bunch of scouts, just like the Washington Nationals, a whole bunch of scouts, because they wanted to make sure that they knew every detail about the team that they were going to be playing. Yeah, because I think back in those days that if you didn't get good scouting reports, oh, boy. <laughs> because you, 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 it's, it's, it's not like you were seeing them in spring training either. Right. So you really had no, and there wasn't a whole lot of player movement, so you really haven't seen these guys. Had not seen them. And, and I'll be honest with you, whenever you play any all-star game, I'm seeing guys, as I did in 1970, you know, maybe if the Giants or Cubs who train in Arizona, but I'm seeing guys like Roberto Clemente. You know, Pirates never trained in, in, in Arizona, so I never got to see him. I didn't see a lot of these guys. And I'm thinking, wow, I'm on the same field with Roberto Clemente. Can you believe this? He's hitting, and I'm catching. So, you know, it, it was totally different. And uh, just, just the fact, I think, trying to interleague play and, like you said, the movement of players, uh, that enables some because inevitably whenever there is – I'm sure Sean Doolittle and, and Kurt Suzuki were talking about the Houston Astros because in more recent times, they played against those guys. And so maybe they knew something, Zook as a catcher, Doolittle as a pitcher, maybe something that they could offer in these meetings that could help their teams. I'm sure Max Scherzer and, and Strasburg would talk to those guys and say, tell me something about some of the Houston Astros that you can help us. And just one little thing that can help, they're going to get it. And if a player has played on a team that you're playing, let's say in the World Series right now, you're going to just talk as much as you can, offer it if you're one of those players. But if you're not and you're a scout, what did you see that maybe we didn't see that can help us win? The Yankees won in 96, 98, 99, and 2000. And yep. so four out of five. And, they, and, of course, then they would lose to the Diamondbacks <laughs> in 01. But they're the last team to repeat the 98, 99, 2000. Yeah. Why is it so tough to repeat? I'll be honest with you, Tony, and I'm disappointed when I hear managers and players saying, oh, we played that extra month of October and, you know, we're worn out. And I say, why? You have November, December, and January. And in most cases, I remember when Joe Madden's Rays went to the World Series, he took it easy on them. Uh, the, the everyday players said, okay, take a little bit of extra time because at that time they'd show up in spring training in February, have most, if not all of March, and start the season in, in April. But I think, and, and again, I, I, maybe from a pitcher standpoint, they need more time. But I'm thinking that if you have four months off, four, four full months off, to me, I think that gives your body in, enough time to recover. But, you know, we saw the Boston Red Sox come back this year, they went to Seattle, lost three of four. We saw them in Oakland, they lost three out of four. 
From what I understood, one of their starting pitchers threw only 15 innings in spring training. Only 15 innings. I mean, normally you build up to 100 pitches to be ready to go, but those guys came out of spring training and they were not prepared. And I think one of the biggest reasons is that the clubs will say, we play the extra month, we have more pitches thrown by the pitchers, the position players are out there longer. But, Tony, your goal of starting spring training is to win the World Series. And, and you know, I, again, I, I'll say it again. When I showed up in 73, being traded to the A's for 10 days to go, I saw players very lackadaisical. And it wasn't a matter of saying we're tired. It was simply, as Dick Green said, we're ready. We know what we have to do. We know we're going to win our division. We're going to play somebody from the East. We're going to play a National League team in the World Series, and we're going to be world champs. I'm getting goosebumps just saying that. But that's exactly what the feeling was. Once you've won, you want to win again and again and again. Think of Derek Jeter. You know, I think he played something like 18 years before he did not play in postseason. I mean, it, it was an unbelievable number of times that it was automatic that when the season was over, he's playing in October. That is what you play the game for. Money is there, but you're wanting to get that world championship ring. And if you can be a part of a world championship team and get that World Series ring, you are a very proud person because you think of some of the great, great Hall of Famers who played this great game of baseball – never, ever had a chance to win a world championship and to win that World Series ring. They have that Hall of Fame ring, but they would be more proud. Well, they're proud to be in the Hall of Fame. Nothing against that. But to be a world champion, because there's only one every year. There's only 25 players on that World Series roster that's going to get a world championship ring saying, I was part of that team that won that World Series. And for me, in 1973, I wear that ring very proudly because I was a part of that team. That was my first world championship and I was fortunate to do it again. But, but Tony, the repeating part, what I experienced in 73, whenever we went to spring training in 74, it was, like, okay, we're going to win. Charlie Finley even had a slogan set up for 75, keep it alive in 75. It didn't work because the Red Sox swept us in three games. But it was that feeling of we're going to win. We want to win. We want to win world championships because that's the name of the game. That's why every player – puts on that uniform and dreams of playing in a World Series. You think Kurt Suzuki, when he hit that home run, you know, his comment was, it was like I was floating on air. That is the most unbelievable feeling. I hit one off Don Sutton, and I'm thinking, I just hit a World Series home run. I couldn't believe it. And that's the feeling that you get because when you have 30 teams that start the season, you have 10 that participate starting October, you get down to two and one is going to be left standing, that's going to be the world champion. And in 2019, it's either the Houston Astros, the Washington Nationals are going to be able to say, we were world champions in that year, and that is something that can never be taken away. Green and gold history with Ray Fossey here on A's Cast and A's Cast Live. So you won it in 73 and 74, but with two different managers. What was yeah. the difference between Dick Williams and Alvin Dark? Well, I think both – Alvin Dark, who took over in 74, Dick Williams in 73, they both felt like they didn't want to mess it up. And I, I, I remember, and unfortunately they're both deceased, but I remember both saying, I just don't want to mess it up. Because when you have a lineup and you have a starting staff and you have a bullpen, you have a guy who can come out of the bullpen like Raleigh could and, and pitch three innings. And, and I remember being on the other side, and I tell teammates, I say, hey, guys, if we don't have a lead by the sixth inning – Number 34 is coming in to finish this game, and he is unbelievable. So let's try to get ahead so he doesn't come in to try to save the game for th with three innings. But I think the stand from the standpoint of both, I, and I will admit, Sal Bando 
when Dick Williams managed in, I mean, basically he took over and they had a lot of success. And unfortunately, in 73, when he said, you know, I'm, I'm going to retire, I'm, I'm finished. And we couldn't believe it. So when Alvin Dark took over, you could imagine the players who came from Kansas City, who were part of the early A's winning under Dick Williams, and then a new manager comes in. And I remember there was a time that during the regular season, Alvin Dark was managing, and something happened in the game, and Sal Bando, the captain, he came in the clubhouse and he said, this manager couldn't manage a meat market. And he was screaming. And Charlie Finley's response was, you know, what, Sal, you're right, because it's hard to manage a meat market. So I could understand what you're saying. But there was something that happened, and it just did not feel right to Sal Bando, who the previous two years had won a world championship under Dick Williams. So there was a – I mean, everybody – we all knew that Alvin Dark was a good manager. I, I was with Alvin in Cleveland, so I knew he was good. Uh, so, But when he took over, it was almost like everybody felt that it was Charlie Finley running the show. Now, Charlie did do a lot of that himself or during the 72 and 73. I know 73 for sure. But Dick Williams never let us know that that was happening. And I think that's one of the biggest things that happened with the difference of, of Dick Williams and Alvin Dark. The presumption was that Alvin comes in as a manager. He's going to be told what to do by Charlie Finley. Can you imagine, Tony, that was in 74 – and here we are, fast forward to 2018-19, you're looking at people being managers being told what to do. Well, in essence, Charlie Finley ran the show. I mean, he, he did it a lot. And there were things, that, there were things that, that he would say to Dick Williams, and Dick would say, no, I'm not going to do that, Charlie. And so, you know, we knew the old saying about he's got our back. Well, we knew that Dick Williams had our back. Alvin Dark did too, but it was a different way. And I think just because he was new, Dick Williams had been there, for that core group of guys that were with Dick Williams from the beginning and had success, it was just different to have a different person in that managerial role. Alvin Dark, to me, Tony, was one of the best of being able to manage two to three innings in advance. You have to do that as a manager. It's hard to manage at bat by at bat, pitch by pitch. You have to be thinking in advance. You'll see Bob Melvin, who's one of the best I've ever seen, if not the best. He will be looking at his lineup card, trying to determine who's going to pitch against this guy. You know, am I going to pinch it here? Those are things that managers have to do. Alvin Dark was brilliant when it came to that. But it was, again, the perception of somebody knew Dick Williams was there, and I think that was the biggest difference of having two managers in back-to-back years winning, winning world championships. Let's end on this. When you know it's over, the run's over. Just how much does that suck? It's terrible. <laughs> hey, listen, in 1975, when I went back, to Cleveland, actually, after that season, I remember, Tony, um, and again, the difference of playing on a winner and a loser. When I went back to Cleveland in 1976, there was a relief pitcher who stood up in a team meeting and said, guys, I, you know, I think we're out here too much, spending too much time. I said, hold on. I said, there's your difference of winning and losing. When you win, you can't wait to come to the park. When you lose, you find ways that you don't want to come to the park. You see, guys, and it's a different thing now just because of the way guys prepared everything but I remember we would get to the park and it would be funny story in 73 my first year in the in the five game uh division series our league championship at the time I was Sal Bando Gene Tennis Joe Rudy and Ike Harpool together the first day I was in my uh, place with my wife Carol they honked I came out the next day I'm out on the front steps. The next day I'm out. They say, "What are you doing?" I was out on the curb. I said, "Let's go. Let's go. We're ready to go." And and that's the difference of of wanting to win. But when I went back to Cleveland, knowing and thinking that we were going to lose, 
that was the difference because I had had success for three years playing with the world champion Oakland Athletics, and I think that's the biggest thing. Fossey, you're the best. We'll talk in a couple weeks. Tally, you're the one that's the best because you are multitasking better than anybody in the world. But I do appreciate, as always, talking to you. You're a good man and uh, continue doing a great job. The face of the franchise, Ray Fossey. A little green and gold history here on A's Cast, powered by TuneIn. Even though it's A's Cast Live. Because we're going to run this now for a couple we do history. We do we do the build. We do history. We do everything here. Are the Nats going to sweep? Are the Nats going to sweep? I, no. I'm, I told you. I'm as Buster would say on his podcast. He's he's not, he bet the family farm. Well, I don't have a lot in my savings, but I. Uh, you you uh, we have a brewery bet. Yeah, the brewery bet. They're not Granky's. I'm guaranteeing an Astros win tomorrow. So this show's going to replay here from. Four to seven, and then we'll replay it tomorrow. And you'll be listening to this as we're getting you ready for game three. And this is, uh, you want to talk about must win? Oh my God. This is must win if you have ever seen one before. Zach Greinke, 18 and five, with a 2.93 ERA, up against Annabelle Sanchez, 11 and eight, with a 3.85. You get, you go down 0-3, look out. It has the makings of one of the greatest upsets in our game's history. So we're gonna have Game Three between the Astros and the Nats. It's gonna be a blast, and then we'll see Saturday. Houston's going to have a bullpen game up against Corbin, and then the big guns will be back out on Sunday if there is a Sunday. Thank you for listening to A's Cast Live. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.